Hey everyone, this episode is different. This is a different one from our previous episodes. This is one about addiction, specifically around alcohol and narcotics. My cousin, Errol Hess, he's agreed to share the details of his fall to addiction over the course of over 20 years. Uh, and for those of us out there that uh, aren't necessarily familiar, based on the statistics, there's a pretty low percentage of people who have been to the depths of narcotic addiction that Errol has and lived to tell about it. Errol's story is told chronologically from his years in college to his current age of 53. The first two and a half hours of this podcast cover his fall to addiction, and the last hour or so is about his incredible recovery and second chance. This is Errol's first time on a podcast telling his full story. It's raw, it's real, and told the way he wants it to be heard. Errol shares this in hopes to help someone out there. His story highlights the power of the mind, the never-ending possibility of redemption, and ultimately the power of God. So giddy up, here we go. All right, welcome everyone to Strong Dad's Community. I'm your host, Charlie Ford. Today we have Errol Hess on the line. Errol, how are you, man? Hey, man, doing all right, buddy. Oh, this, uh, for the listeners out there today, um, this is a, a real special episode. Um, what you're going to hear is some some stories of massive struggle uh, to the depths that, that many of us don't experience in a story of redemption. And uh, Errol, I can't thank you enough for, for sharing your story here with us today. Yeah, man, um, I'm looking forward to it, buddy. And I like the way you said that, redemption, because I think about that um, that kind of thing. I love, I love that. I love those kind of stories, like redemption, a second chance at life. You know, um, it's always like a feel-good thing. Yeah. Uh, if we, just so that uh, people kind of get to know you a little bit, let's kind of rewind the clock a little bit and, and, and talk about you, you know, as a, as a teenager, um, were you, how do you consider yourself as a teenager, man? Like, uh, back in, in, uh, high school days. Oh man. I feel like, um, honestly, I, I, I feel like I had a great, a really great childhood. You know, I was very, I feel very, you know, people overuse the word blessed, man, but I feel, I do feel blessed that my parents were together. Um, um, you know, I'm one of seven kids. So, you know, I had brothers and sisters and I grew up in a great neighborhood, like, you know, full of other families with kids around my age. Um, so we just all grew up like doing a lot of the same things like football, baseball, basketball, like biking, like, every, you know, like just it was uh, swimming to get, you know, like we just had a really good thing. And then I feel like um, even, um, you know, and it's nice to have like that, I guess that, um, uh, you know, that just to be able to have your family together and uh, you have that like support that you don't even realize when you're younger at all. You don't really think about that until you're older and realize like, well, and you also know people that maybe didn't have that. So you, you start to realize how special that was, but yeah, I mean, um, I had a great, you know, uh, um, a great childhood, uh, high school days, a lot of fun, good times, you know, 
was there a point, was it high school time frame when you started to experiment and um, get into some, some, you know, things that were, uh, you know, counterproductive? You know, I tell you, it's funny. Um, well, my dad being a bar owner, I think, you know, my uncle worked for Falstaff. Uh, you know, he used to deliver beer for Falstaff. So I think, and and I also think growing up in New Orleans, it's just like, um, you know, part of the culture, part of the lifestyle. It's a, it's a very um, accepted thing to be for alcohol. It's almost like, you know, not a big deal. And I guess, you know, my dad being a bar owner, um, and, uh, and I do remember in high school being, you know, like most people, you start to um, have a few drinks. And, and it's funny, though, because even in high school, I remember, you know, some people smoking weed or maybe experimenting a little bit with drugs other than alcohol. And I, and I remember, um, you know, my dad uh, just being who he is. You know, like I had that fear of my dad in me that like it was cool. It was OK to drink, but like, you know, don't fuck with any drugs. You know, so I, I kind of, yeah. you know, you even, though alcohol, even though alcohol is a drug, it, it's like and, and I and, and I think we're all, you know, bad of that where we, we don't really consider that it's like a separate thing, kind of. So it was OK with that. So I kind of just. I kind of stayed away from like any, you know, like I was happy with just drinking and, 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 um, and just having fun, like just, you know, nothing out of the ordinary, you know, just, just a good time with friends, you know, um, no, I guess I, I have, I've heard people's stories where they feel like, man, that first beer that they cracked open and they knew like they were, you know, like it was their life was different. Their life changed. It was, you know, it meant something to them where I never really felt like that. I felt like I just wanted to have a good time like everybody else, have a few drinks. It's like a coming of age kind of thing with your boys. And, And like I said, it's funny in high school, you know, I was always just so scared like you know because my dad you know was like that you know uh old school kind of dad so um you know i always just had that in my mind like you know if i just drink it's okay like so just like you know let me not like do anything else so i felt like it wasn't really until um you know and i'm not saying i didn't like maybe try pot or something like that you, you know like in, in late high school years, but, but mainly it was just drinking and I enjoyed drinking. And I think it was more so when I got into college, when, you know, it's like a new world, so to speak, you know, I was here at UNO and, you know, uh, it's kind of funny. I felt like everybody always wanted to go away to college to go get away from their parents and to like experiment and do their thing where I was just kind of like, man, we're like living in the party city. Like, why would you want to go anywhere else? <laughs> like new Orleans, like, you know what I mean? Like you can't beat yeah. new Orleans for this. So, and, 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 uh, so anyway, that's, I think 
that's definitely when I started to experiment more with with different drugs. Um, I started smoking weed. I started doing acid. Um, uh, and I would imagine, it, like, as you were getting into this, is the the peer group that you were kind of associating with, or I mean, everybody was doing that. Was that were you? A yeah, part you of know, like and also I was like, absolutely. I was going. To, I mean, I was. I was going to UNO. I was an artist, you know, like I, I felt, you know, I, I, an artist in high school and kind of hanging out with that clique. And I think that that's like a little bit of a different group of people, you know. Uh, hey, now that you then, mentioned that, before we move on, I want to yeah. just have a just a side note on your art, art artistic uh, expression and the thing that you've done, because you. You say that you're you were into art, but I don't think the listeners are can appreciate how much depth and how much um, precision you put into art. I mean, you you had contracts with the city to to do artwork for when they had that fish thing going on, right? Like they were doing they were putting fish out uh, in different locations uh, throughout the city, and you were you were kind of associated with that. I um I was involved uh, with the uh. It was the art project called Festival of Fins. It was a public display, um, <clears throat> kind of like an art awareness for the city. It was a way to help young artists um, put their art, get their art out there and to get paid to do art. And at that same time, I had, you know, a lot a, you know, I feel like at that at that particular time, which was like around 2000, um, I had a lot going on. I had like the, you know, the Festival of Fins was like a really big thing. I felt like for me, it was like the biggest thing for me as an artist or, or it was the thing I was the most proud of. Um, I also had been doing um, a lot of work at Jimmy Buffett's Margaritaville. I got a contract with uh, Margaritaville to paint a vehicle for them. And then the vehicle, I had like an old Jeep Wagoneer that I painted like every inch of the vehicle. And it was such a success that they ended up hiring me to paint murals inside the restaurant. I ended up painting uh, um, the majority of the restaurant. I ended up doing like a t-shirt design. Um, I had a couple of pieces of my art in a local gallery um, in the city, Jonathan Ferrara's gallery. So I had all this stuff going on. Like it was, you know, um, so I was working full time as an artist, making it as an artist. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it could be overstated enough how much talent and gift that you have in, in artistry. And uh, I mean, I've seen it myself. I've, it, it's just, it's pretty like awe-inspiring to see you doing that type of work. I mean, I can only imagine that you're in when you're doing that type of stuff, you're in complete flow state, man. Like that's, that is like what we all try to strive for when we're, you know, doing something that we're passionate about. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's just cool. So I, I just wanted to point that out for the listeners out there before we jumped into your college days. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, no. And that's cool. And I'm glad you did because everything that meant so much to me. It's good to touch on anything in my life that was very important and that I had a passion for because like, because then we'll get to what happens, you know, 
um, to some of those things, you know, with, uh, through addiction. And so, all right, so getting back to you're in college and now you're really starting to spread your wings in terms of experimentation. Yes. So I'm in college. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm in the art clique, um, meeting all kinds of new people. You know what I mean? Just, you know, it's like a new it's like a new world, man. It's, it was a lot of fun uh, in college. You know, it's like. Uh, uh, meeting a lot of new artists, meeting, you know, like. Uh, meet, meeting just all sorts of new people, like, you know, and, and just having a good time. So in, in part of that, having a good time was, you know, I kind of felt like I wasn't just a kid in high school worried so much about my dad. It's like, okay, you know, like I love to drink, but like, yeah, like, of course I want to like experiment. Like, why not? Like we're having fun. We're young, you know, and, and I did start to experiment with a lot of different drugs. Um, I started to experiment with, uh, you know, like acid and cocaine and, you know, some pills, but mostly it was like drinking. And, and, um, I think that was like some of the first, um, the, the first drug that I kind of really took. And I, I, I really enjoyed, uh, taking, um, acid and LSD, and, you know, like, micro dots as they call it or you know liquid and just it was it, it almost feels like as an artist it was like mind altering expanding kind of feeling almost you know like uh, it was it was even fun to do like by myself experimenting with art because it was just such a it's such a visual thing it's like a like an explosion in your head almost you know did did you feel like when you were going down this path and you started to experiment with these different drugs, did did you already feel hooked and addicted or did you were you telling yourself a different story? I mean, how, how was it like alcoholism? Did you feel like you were an alcoholic at that point? No, or not at all. You, it wasn't until later on, like like later, like closer to my late 20s to like 30 when I, when I realized, um, I felt addicted because I always just felt like I experimented with a lot of different drugs and I felt like, um, I never thought about it really. I mean, I just had a lot of fun. You know what I mean? It was like, it was like my lifestyle. And then, you know, even, um, after a couple of years of college, I started working as an artist full time. So I kind of had an alternative lifestyle, so to speak, where I didn't necessarily have like a nine to five. So I would, you know, work. And then at night, you know, like most people, it's, it's, it's New Orleans. Like you go out, you know, especially when you're young, you go out like four nights a week, five nights a week, sometimes every night. You know what I mean? It was like mm -hmm. after I would finish working, I would like go out and then, and it was always like, I'm going to drink. And then whatever else happens was like lanyap. That was just kind of like, you know, a bonus. But like, you know, I was always just happy to drink. You know, I was a happy drunk. I was, you know, and I, I always, uh, I guess I like to kind of say that was like my first love, so to speak. You know, you, and did, did you I never feel, felt like I was an alcoholic. I, I never uh, felt like I was an alcoholic. 
And I also never felt like maybe I did drink every single day, but I never felt like I had to drink every single, you know, I might've drank every single night, but at this time in my life, it's not like I had to wake up and like drink a beer or something like that. It was just at night when I went out, I always just felt like I really didn't even think about it much, you know, like you don't really think about things until maybe something happens to force you to think about it. But like at the time, I just felt like like a social drinker. And then in the process of being a social drinker, when you hang out at bars enough, you know, like cocaine will come up or, you know, another drug will come up or, you, you know, um, different things that are, are thrown into the mix. And I think for a lot of people who like go out to drink a lot and that are that hang out in bars a lot. I think cocaine is a, is a drug that it just kind of comes with the territory. It's like, you know, it's funny as this may sound, but it's like you're drinking and you, you've been drinking for hours and you're kind of tired. And it's like, you should just go home, but instead you're like, Oh, I'll do some cocaine and it'll like wake me up and I can drink more, you know? Uh Um, And, and I think that, and and it's like a, you know, it's one of those things. It's like, man, gives you like more energy and more life, so to speak. And it's like, you know, like, man, you know, why, why would I want to go home now? And I can like stay out for like even more hours, you know? So I think that, I think that happens to a lot of people who, who drink a lot, or at least in, in my circle or my experiences. And then, and then other drugs or just, um, you know, Oh, you know, like, Oh, you want to, Try a Soma. You want to try a Xanax. You want to try a Valium. You want to try, you know, uh, this and or you know, hey, let's let's take some let's take uh, some acid before we go out. And and I felt like I feel like drinking was just a given. That was always going to happen. And then anything else was just you know a little icing on the cake, so to speak. That was just like for kicks. And I think. Being an artist and being a creative person, I think that, um, you know, and like I said, having an alternative lifestyle allowed me to like, you know, um, I didn't necessarily have to be at work the next day at 7 a.m. or at 8 a.m. or, or, yeah. or really early. I might have had a little bit later thing, so I could have stayed up a little bit later and, and, and you know, um, and then, like I said, I hung out with a lot of artists who kind of had that lifestyle where it was like, man, you know, you, you you start a little bit later, you work a really long day into the night. And then when you're done, you know, what do you do when you finish working at 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. at your studio or, or you know, or whatever? Like, yeah, let's go have a couple of drinks, you know, and then, and you're going to just meet up with everybody that you that other people that, you know, that that are in the same kind of lifestyle. So at this point, at this point, what you're describing, what were you, your, your whole peer group was sort of taking the same steps you were in terms of like the, the amount of drinking and the, like you said, the Coke and to try to stay high and, and just staying out all night. Like you weren't alone in that. You're, you're, you're all of your peers were, were sort of doing the same thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. And then I think that, and I never thought, 
I never thought of myself as a drug addict because I just, you know what I mean? Like drinking was acceptable and that other stuff was, I always felt like, yeah, you know, at that time, I, you know, maybe I got a little bit out of control or carried away with maybe doing a little too much cocaine or maybe doing a little too much in this. But then I would, I would just kind of pull back from it and just be like, oh man, you know, like I'm going to chill out from that for a while. Let me just stick to drinking. And then I would just kind of just, 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 just drink. So and, at, at this point, did, did anybody in your family like notice a difference in you or was there any, any type of, uh, you know, was there anybody in your family that was actually worried or they said, Hey, you know, like, Hey man, we noticed something different about you or, um, you know, any kind of red flags. No, not at all. Okay. It wasn't until like, like in my thirties when, um, when people started to notice the difference, because at this time, um, yes, I might've been using some sort of drug every single day of my life. Um, I never really thought about being a drug addict. And, you know, nowadays I feel like everything's just talked about so much, you know, because of social media and just like, like just everything is just talked about where like back then it's like, People just weren't always talking about addicts and being an addict and addict behavior. And it just really didn't come up. Everybody just, you know, kind of did their thing. And I always felt like, you know, hey, I always made it to work. I always paid my bills, I, you know, and at this time, like, yes, I was doing all these things, but I was I had my passion for art. And I'm glad that you brought that up earlier because it is very important and this is significant to say, like, so. I was um, very family oriented, always going to family functions. Um, I was a brother. I was a good son. Um, always. Uh, every family function, every event, um, you know, very hard worker, producing a lot of art, making it as an artist, which is which is not an easy thing. Um, canoeing biking all this like through my 20s um all these things i had you know uh, i had a, a just a passion for the outdoors nature just being being outside uh having parties being around people very social all these things um that eventually down the road those things stopped but it wasn't until I remember I broke my wrist riding my bike. I tried to jump something. It broke my wrist. And it was the first time I was around 25. They gave me some pain pills. And I remember that's something I really hadn't fooled around with was like opiates or any kind of pain pills. So I remember getting a prescription for pain pills. And I kind of thought, like, man, like, you know, you know, these things like feel pretty good. But I didn't really think a whole lot about it. And that was around 25 when this happened. And I think over the next. From 25 to 28, over the next couple of years, it wasn't something that I thought about a lot. But every once in a while, I would. You know, in the process of buying drugs, you know, drug dealers have other drugs that they try to sell to you or 
other, you know, you're in a circle of people and everybody's having fun, like drinking and drugging. And, oh, you know what? Hey, I got these. You want to try one of these? And, you know, before we go out and I think that over like from from like 25 to 28 and in a couple of years, I would periodically uh, take a pain pill. Um, and at that time, I still didn't think a whole lot about it, but like, I remember like anytime I would take a pain pill and this happens in the beginning, you, uh, you, you're like, wow, you know, like you feel like a little for not, not for everybody, but I think for a lot of people, um, it, it's not like this in the end at all. In the end, it's like, you're like, a, like you're nodding out and you're like a different person. But in the beginning, it's almost like it gives you like a little, like a little buzz up like an up, even though it's an opiate. And for a lot of people, they're like, oh, I don't like doing those. That knocks me out or takes me down. But for certain people, a lot of people, that's why they become so addictive. You take something, Mm. it's a pain pill. It's a painkiller. So even though you might not realize you have, you know, I'm also young. So like, you're not, I don't have anything on my body that's hurting or I'm, like, oh, I'm sore on this, on that. But here you go. You take something and it's a pain pill. It's a painkiller. And you like you feel better than normal. So it's like, wow, you know, like I feel really good. I got a little energy, you know. And I remember at this time, um, like maybe going out all night and having a hangover. Like somebody in the morning had been like, hey, man, you want a pain pill? Man, it'll make you feel good and fight this hangover. And I can remember like taking a pain pill and and thinking like, wow, like it, like it's next thing you know, I'm like, I, I don't feel hungover anymore. I'm like awake. I feel good. I'm ready to get moving, you know, and, and I started. um, So, I, you know, that was like my first taste for like doing opiates and and that was for a couple of years and I still never really thought about it like oh man I gotta have this or something just clicked but then around 98 I remember thinking you, you know just enjoying that more than anything else like still like you know I it sounds might sound funny but I just really enjoyed like getting high in some way. Like, I, you know, I, I really just, you know, some people have like certain drugs that they just absolutely love to do. And I, I really just liked doing like anything I could get my hands on. I just had a good time, like doing anything, Wait, you know, so l- let me ask you this while yeah. you're talking about that, because there's probably a lot of listeners that don't like, I mean, for me, I, I'm included, like just getting high, um, can you just sort of explain like why, like what does it do for you? Like from a, from a mental standpoint, like what gets you excited about getting into that state? Is it like for, for me, not, not ever being, you know, high. Um, I, I always kind of look at it as, Oh, well, it's an escape, but you, you mentioned some other things about it, like the expansion and the artistry and you can think a little differently what what was it that made you want to to be in that mind state? Um, you know, it, it's that's a good question because 
you know, you even asked about like my childhood and I, I, I before and we kind of touched on that. I do feel like for a lot of people who do drugs, it truly is like an escape from something that made me they did have a bad childhood. They had a bad experience with their dad. They had a bad experience like for whatever, like, you know, maybe something that they didn't like about themselves and, you, you know, they, they, they struggle with or for a lot of people, it really is like some sort of escape. And for me, like, I just enjoyed the feeling like I just, you know, and it, it is kind of funny because I felt like I had a really great life. Like I really like I had I started, you know, two parents that stayed together. I, you know, um, I thought it was a healthy relationship, typical, like old school dad, like, you know, uh, extremely loving mother, you know, like that yin and yang kind of thing. That's like I think most people around my age had parents similar to that, you know, um, the dad was like the uh, enforcer and the mom was like more of the, the loving side, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And, but, but like all, like nothing that I was trying to escape. It was all like, a, you know, like, look, I was, I, I mean, I was working as an artist, you know, I, I had a lot of friends, you know, I was, uh, I, I did all these things that I thought was unique, like canoeing, uh, biking, my art, the outdoors, party. Like there was a lot of things that, you, you know, um, so for me, it was just for whatever reason, I just enjoyed that feeling of like, I guess maybe being a little out of control, you know, like not necessarily, you know, even though I felt like I was in control still, like just that feeling of like, I don't know, just it felt like it It took you to like, you know, if you, you know, like, let's say I'm having fun, but then I'm going to do these drugs and I'm going to have like 10 times the fun. So it's mm-hmm. like, you know, I think maybe that's the best way to explain it. It just seemed like it amplified everything. And for me, I wasn't really escaping anything. So that's a great question. I wasn't escaping anything. And many people that I found, you know, that, that I met in treatment or that I meet in recovery, they had a really hard life or they were escaping something. And for me, I just enjoyed drugs. I really enjoyed experimenting and I enjoyed that feeling of like kind of just being, you know, whacked out or out of control. And for me, like it was just, it was fun. It added this element of like excitement to what I was doing. Well, you know, I've, I've heard of, uh, I, <clears throat> I appreciate that response because, you know, nowadays you hear a bunch of things about, um, uh, like microdosing and, yeah. uh, and I, I hear, you know, you hear a lot of good positive things, uh, that come from that. And, and what's interesting is that obviously anything to an extreme can be really, really rough. Right. And, and what you're describing is like more of an extreme type experience whereas you, you hear stories of um of of like you know microdosing for example where people can actually access uh you know pieces and parts of their consciousness that that they wouldn't ordinarily do you know under normal conditions 
and um and so i don't know it just it, it's a remi- it reminds me of uh you know not that i've ever microdosed or anything but uh just the the, the parallels there um in your what you're describing is kind of you know going in on an extreme case versus that there may i'm you know not everything's black and white right no like, no there's there's got to be you know there are some positive like you know there's some things that are very advantageous for what the reason why you did what you did and uh that's why you did it i mean it's not like if it was all bad then nobody would ever do it and so um so the, those little pieces of of uh of positivity on why you did it maybe you know going to an extreme may not be the right answer but um but in any case there is some level of uh pros you know in there hidden in there and uh, obviously those usually get um uh conjured up as you know in, a, in, a, in an extreme case and and then you know things go haywire but uh, i just find it interesting what you just described uh just reminded me of that yeah definitely and you know it's funny all right well it's cool you said that because there are um I love a lot of artists from like the sixties and even like the early seventies. And as like one, as a many of them, but you know, there's one artist that I really love a lot, Robert Crumb. And he was doing a lot of um, alternative comics, like in the sixties and um, some of his like really unique kind of out there characters he developed while he was on LSD. Like he, mm-hmm. like, and he talks about, there was a phase where he was, you know, fooling with, um, LSD and, and in those times when he would sketch, he, he, he come, he came up with some of his, uh, his most memorable characters, you know? And I think for a lot of people, well, for artists, you can, Definitely. Um, you're already kind of an alternative thinker and kind of, you know, uh, a little bit off the wall. And I think that certain drugs can can maybe um, even take you a little bit further to one way or another, like with that um, experimentation. And, and I also would like to say. I wasn't somebody that was constantly like at this point for many years, I wasn't like all day long doing drugs. You know, I, I would, this was something that I did after work. You know, I always, um, you know, when I would work, you know, I, maybe I went out all night, but when I was working, I didn't drink, I didn't smoke weed. I didn't really like to do anything. I like to be, uh, very focused when I was painting. It wasn't mm-hmm. something that I necessarily wanted to do when I was doing art. I felt like, I mean, I, I, well, we're just talking about experimenting a little bit. And I'm talking about maybe more so on my own, but I'm talking about like for doing jobs for a living, like the things that I felt like I was doing a lot of detailed work. And um, I was, you know, very um, organized. And, and, and just wanted everything to be a certain way. And I liked, um, I didn't, I never liked painting 
or doing art, you know, under the influence. It was something mm-hmm. more like after hours. In the mm-hmm. beginning, eventually, I would do, you know, drugs while I was working, which ended up becoming a problem. So, so now we're, we're talking about your. You said twenty-five to twenty-eight. You're you're in that range, and you start seeing these pain pills as a uh, kind of the your favorite. Uh, uh, the, your favorite mechanism for, for yeah and out. i never even realized it because i was still just doing a lot of different things and then i think from like 98 to like 2000 um is when i started maybe getting those more often and um but still like i said just loved going out drinking like um kind of experimenting with different drugs like just a lot a lot of it was drinking and cocaine you know to keep going and then i started doing pain pills and it was i just know when i've looked back to think about it i realized that i kind of started around 25 and it was just kind of off and on for a couple of years and then somewhere between like 1998 to 2000 which i was like 28 to 30 30 and 2000 is when um i remember doing it i I can remember it's it's funny that you brought up the fish thing because i can remember that was in 2000 and i don't know so much how much i was doing between 98 and 2000 so to speak but i was definitely doing it more frequently but around i can remember in 2000 i remember doing those fish i was painting at my friend my my friend used to let me use his body shop because i used all automotive paint on those fish because they were going to be outside so i had done all my artwork using automotive paint and i clear coated it because i wanted it to be the most durable for outside and i can remember um like sometimes not getting to his place on time because I was looking for pain pills. Like I couldn't go paint because I wanted, like I had to have my pain pills before I got to go paint. And that was, so that's when I first remember like actually being an addict in 2000 is when I realized, and I was 30 years old. So I feel like, you know, 28 was when I really started using pain pills more frequently. And sometime, I don't know when, but sometime in between 98 and 2000, it became like an everyday habit. But I do know in 2000, without a doubt, it was an everyday habit because I couldn't paint or I couldn't go like I couldn't go to his shop to paint unless I had my pain pills. And I can remember um at that time you know i I just you know i remember him you know calling me asking me like what time was i coming you know because this guy was letting me use the shop so he kind of wanted me uh you know he he would like me to paint at a certain time so i remember did did you get the pain pills this was all like uh black market type stuff or yeah yeah i never had like a prescription i would just okay yeah just you had uh sources Yeah, I would just buy them on the street. So I remember um, 
and I can remember, you know, and the thing about like, it's why they're so addictive, but I can remember, you know, uh, your tolerance builds up so fast. I can remember doing like a pain pill and then two pain pills. And then I feel like in a matter of a few months, and this will sound completely crazy. It is crazy, but this was, this sounds bizarre and almost not true for somebody who's never done it. Like, how can you possibly do that? But I can remember going from like two pain pills to like six and then eight. And then in really just like a matter of six, eight, ten months going from taking like two pain pills to feel good to taking like 10 pain pills to feel good. And then, and then I can even remember like, you know, maybe a time frame of like a year of being like, you know, I can remember actually taking, you know, like 14 pain pills and two somas with the pain pills because I didn't even necessarily feel the 14 pain pills so the two somas with the pain pills kind of help to sort of like kick it in and, and to give you like a little bit of a, a fucked up feeling. And then at that point, you're not really necessarily it's not like when you started where like, oh, man, I got a little buzz up and I feel great. Like it's more like. You like. You're trying to get you're getting fucked up in a bad way. Like It's not necessarily a good thing. Like at the time, I was still very productive. But but I found like, you know, I would have been happy just like taking all these drugs and like sitting on my couch doing nothing, you know, mm. <clears throat> instead of. And at this time. When you're when your habit comes more and more and more, I feel like. Other things in your life become less and less and less like it's, you know, maybe less art, uh, less family less biking, less canoeing. So all these things that you love in your life, they slowly but surely start to take like <clears throat> the backseat to the drug addiction. And then eventually, you know, your your drug addiction is like your number one priority. And I also, <clears throat> was, just to kind of, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I was just going to ask it. It, what you're describing, um, getting into the 14 pain pills in, in your 30s, at, at that point, did your did family members start to recognize that? So, like I was saying, this was around 2000 when I remember like having a daily habit, but I was still keeping it together very, very well. I still looked healthy. I still had a good weight on me. I was still eating normally. I was still showing up for all the events. I was still you know, <clears throat> yes, I was doing things, doing drugs every day. I was doing them when I woke up. So now it's shifted to like, it wasn't just like when I got off, it was, it had shifted to like, I got to do stuff when I wake up in the morning or I can't get moving, you know? And it wasn't until <clears throat> probably, um, I remember still painting and doing a lot a lot of art like 2003 even 2004 but then i remember like 
2005, maybe not really doing as much art. And I had also, um, I don't know, sometimes I wonder if, if this, I don't know. Sometimes I, I like to overthink things. And I, uh, I guess there was a point in my life, Charlie, where I felt like I wanted to pinpoint the exact day, the exact, you know, this exact thing that happened that like fucked everything up. And it, it doesn't, it doesn't really happen like that. Mm. But I remember <clears throat> thinking, um, and I think this made a difference, but I remember at this time around um, 2003, you know, I had, I felt like I had been on, yes, doing daily drugs, but I had been on this high as an artist. Like I had a lot of things going for me as an artist, like more so than ever. I felt like I was on top of the world as an artist. I was moving in the right direction. Everything was kind of lining up. I felt like, you know, um, I had a little buzz about me in the art world. I had some some of my art in galleries. I felt like I was starting to do some of my own personal artwork, want, wanting to focus more on that and less on jobs for a living. So around, it was 2002, I had this plan. And in theory, it seemed like a good plan, but I thought, you know, I might get a regular job. And and just having a regular job, maybe make enough, like have a regular paycheck coming in. And when I'm off on nights and weekends, I can just 100 percent focus on the art that I want to do. And I don't have to do jobs anymore. Like I don't have to support myself as an artist. So all these jobs like I was I was very busy as an artist, but literally I was doing anything and everything. I did a lot of different types of art. So. Um, it kept me very busy, you know, because I did so many different types of artwork and I felt like, you know, I want to, I would love to. And like I said, it sounded like a great plan. And I was also doing drugs on a daily every day at this time, but I was, it wasn't to me, it wasn't a problem. Yes. I know I was doing it every day, but to me, I was, Hey man, I was, you know, um, as they say, uh, you know, uh, I, I was, you know, uh, a very, um, productive addict, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, so you were, uh, for, for you, it was just part of, just par for the course. You're, 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 uh, you're doing it, but you're able to, to knock everything out. Do you feel like your, um, your addiction helped you with your art? or no or it, not really in spite not, of not at all really honestly like i don't think it did at all i think okay. if anything it hurt me i think it made me work slower I, I think that um i had a harder time getting things done um because i was always like you know i had to like search and find drugs and you know before i could get started and you know like i, I didn't always have what I needed. So I think it really, it didn't help me at all. I think that at one time when we, when we talk about like these artists that use it, like to kind of expand their minds, I think that I used to enjoy like sketching on 
like smoking weed or sketching on acid and and but but to actually like paint and do my jobs and to have to deal with clients and no i wanted to be like clear-headed and i felt like it was if anything you start maybe you don't even realize it but like oh you know you kind of let somebody down with this job or maybe like you know, all the, you, you thought you could do this and you ended up not being able to do everything. And a lot of it had to do with like, because, because of my addiction, you know, and at the time I didn't even realize it. So, so, at, so also like around 2002, I decided to get a regular job and I started working out at the port of New Orleans. Um, and I thought, well, this will be great. You know, I have like a regular job. I can, I can pay my own. Um, I can pay my bills and then when I'm off, I can do my art. And, and, and like I said, it seemed like a good plan. And for the next probably two or three years from 2003 to like 2005, even into 2006, I was able to do both. I actually worked on the river and I did art, you know, I would like work during the day and then I would go to my studio in the evening. And I can remember, like, I would work all day and then come home, take a shower, take a couple of, take some pain pills. And, like, bam, I'd be, like, feeling great and ready to go to my studio. And this kind of started around 2002. So I was doing a daily habit since 2000. But I do remember, like, going to my studio and working, you know, like, six hours, sometimes seven hours, like, you know, until 1 a.m., 2 a.m., maybe even going to have a beer after with somebody from my studio. I I had a studio space with a lot of uh, different artists inside this one studio space, like separate units, but I might go have a beer after, and then I just functioned on, like, not much sleep. I think a lot of people did. Like, they grew up around, you know, uh, nowadays, you know, kids can't do anything, but, you know, now, like, you know, we function on a couple of hours. You know what I mean? Like yeah, I, yeah. I, I slept three or four hours and then, you know, woke up and went to work. So I was going to work at 8 a.m. And I would at the time I was working like eight to five in the beginning. And I was so I was doing both jobs. And then over like three years. um, I was, you know, it's a union job. So like they kept in the beginning, there wasn't a lot of work for me because I was like a casual. So like, I was just kind of working 40 hours a week and it was okay. Cause I wasn't really looking for anything more than that. I was happy. Like, man, I make my, like, I make like, you know, 35, 40 hours a week, go to my studio at night. And then I would spend both days on the weekend at my studio, like 10 or 12 hour days, you know, trying to catch up. And even though I said, I wanted to focus on my art, and only do my personal art, I was still taking jobs. So I really wasn't doing what I said I was going to do. I was still like doing art jobs for a living. And then over a couple of years, I, I don't know what happened, but I found myself uh, doing less art and working more on the river. They kept asking me to work like, you know, it's a, it's a 24 seven industry. So I found myself, you know, there's work at night, there's work on the weekends and, you know, I was trying to get in the union at the time. So just to kind of have a regular spot and it was a pretty good gig. So I found myself um, working more 
and more on the river. I didn't even realize it, but I was working more on the river and less doing art because I just I couldn't do both. And I didn't want to turn jobs down. So I found it was it was like this. This period where I was slowly but surely like working more on the river, less doing art, doing more drugs. And I think I was doing something that for the first time in my life, I literally had been working as an artist full time professionally. And for the first time in my life, I decided to to do something that wasn't creative and wasn't art. And I found myself like it wasn't fulfilling. And I found myself. But also making more money, I, I made good money as an artist, but but I, I made even more money working at the port. So what happened is I found maybe I wasn't as happy, but I was also I was also already a drug addict. So I can't really blame it on the job, but I used to want to blame it on the job. But I had already been an everyday user and a drug addict as an artist before I made this transition. But then I found once I was working like 80 percent on the river and doing very little art, I found I was making more money than ever. So I was like, okay, well, here we go. Like now I can do more drugs because I'm making more money and like I'm making steady money and I'm making money that I can count on. Well, you know, when you work for yourself and you work as an artist, like at the end of the month, it all works out. But you might have one week. It's this much. And the next week is this much. Well, now all of a sudden I'm like, I'm making the same. I'm making a certain amount of money every week. And I know I can count on this. And it's like, man, next thing you know, and, you know, art took the back seat and the drug addiction took the front seat. And here I'm here. I am like, OK, wow. Like, I don't really care what I do for a living. Like now I'm making the money to do drugs that I really want. So here I am. So then next thing you know, I'm working six or seven days on the river. I'm making more money than I've ever made. I'm doing more drugs than I've ever taken. And and then I remember. Um, to get back to what you were asking about my family or people noticing right before Katrina, I remember. And I did, and this is look. Everybody talks about this kind of thing nowadays because they talk. Everybody just talks about everything, but this wasn't really <laughs> talked about a whole lot. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? This wasn't mm-hmm. really talked about a whole lot. But my family came over to my house. My parents, my brothers, everybody came over to my house, and this was like the beginning of the summer before Katrina. Everybody came over to do like an intervention. And like nowadays, everybody talks about that. But but back then, you know, I was like freaked out. Like, what is everybody doing at my house? You know, I don't want anybody here. You know, because did you did you even know what an intervention was at that time? No, not really. And also at that time, you know, you start like. You you know, drugs really become when, when drugs become your priority, then like my art. Uh, the outdoors, canoeing, biking hiking, camping, like all these things, like family, um, holidays, like everything starts to really not matter as much. Personal hygiene, uh, eating, like just, you know, like 
I wanted to make enough money to do the drugs that I wanted to do. And then like the drugs are the priority. So they come over and they, you know, like, Hey, you know, like you, you lost a lot of weight. Cause at this time, I think between 2003 and 2005, um, I, uh, I felt like I started like not eating as much because I'm, you know, the most important thing was, you know, I spent all my money on drugs. So, um, I wasn't really eating a lot and, um, I had lost a lot of weight and, you know, enough where people noticed and I didn't look healthy. My skin, I just, you know, you just, you start to have like a different, like a, like a blank stare. I, I feel I, like now being clean. When I look at people that are in active addiction, I see them and they just have like this, like glassy eyes and they kind of have like a blank like emotionalist. That's what I like to call it. It's like, like an emotionalist expression, like no emotion at all. They just kind of mm. like there, it's like a hollow shell, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like, so my, so my family's like, Hey, you know, this is probably like two months before Katrina, maybe something like that. I'm like, they're like, you know, we want you to go to like river Oaks and, you know, and, 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 you know, you need help. And, and also it took me a long time to realize this, but it took me until I decided to get clean to realize that like, like people try to force people to get clean, you know, and that never works. Like until the actual individual addict is ready to quit, like it doesn't matter. Like everybody who tries to talk to them and tries, I'm not saying like, Nothing maybe helps the click or maybe inspire, but I feel like my family kind of was like, I want you to do this. And, and, and I was like, okay, I, I'll do it. I just wanted to shut everybody up. I was like, yeah, I'll go to river Oaks. You know what I'm saying? So mm-hmm. I went, I went to river Oaks to like this outpatient thing, like in 2005 and the whole time at the time I was also like, man, I do have a problem with opiates. I'm tired of spending all my money. Like I'm blowing every single penny I make on, on pain pills. And like, this is, this is, this is like, you know, I do need to take a break. Now I go in there thinking like, man, I'm, I'm still going to be drinking. I'm still going to be smoking pot. I'm still going to be doing cocaine. I'm going to do everything but opiates. Like I got a problem with opiates. Like I do not uh, have a problem with everything else. So well, I go you, in there. Wait, let me ask you this. Uh, yeah. As you're talking about your addiction to pain pills, um, the, the weed and the cocaine still, still were something for you. Like they, they actually still, uh, still did something for you. Um, not necessarily, but I was still doing it. It okay. was just like, right. I did everything. Like you know habit? what I mean? Like, yeah, I was still like, yeah, it was just, I smoked, smoking weed was like, you know, something I did and drinking was something I did. And, and, you know, drinking would always like, you know, if you could drink more, you could drink more. It would help. It would help the high, so to speak. So gotcha. okay. I go to River Oaks. It's a fucking joke. I, I'm like, I'm just doing it to shut everybody up. Everybody's all happy because I decided to go to River Oaks and I do this outpatient thing. And it's kind of funny. It's like, I, you know, I, I think for a lot of these places, they're just they're trying to help people. But I wasn't ready. So I go in there and, you know, and, and I'm like, you know, uh, 
I'm like, man, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stop doing opiates. You know, that's what I got a problem with. And, and they're not really telling me anything differently. Like it doesn't really work like that. You know, if you're an addict you, and you got a problem with opiates, you got a problem with everything. You got to quit everything. I, I don't remember them really ever telling me that. Well, maybe like I just was completely closed off to listening. So I don't even know if they were trying to tell me, but I don't remember them trying to tell me anything at that time. And I just remember like going in there and I truly was like, I'm going to quit. And I was also like, man, I'm so depressed. I'm so depressed. Everybody on drugs is depressed. So I was just like, I hate my life. I'm so depressed. And they, they put me on uh, some kind of uh, depression medicine, like Wellbutrin and, uh, and, uh, and, you know, they were like, oh, you know, well, we, we can help you out. And I was like, oh, I'm so depressed. And like I said, like, you're depressed because of the drugs, but you don't realize it. the drugs mm. make, make you depressed. But you just think that, like, you're depressed and that's why you're doing drugs. But it's just like, you know, you kind of did it to yourself or at least for me. So I remember going to this thing and every night I would be drinking. And, 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 and I did. It took me many years when I did decide to go to treatment on my own, it was not, I'm glad I had this one little experience to reflect on because it made me realize something that we'll get into later, but it made me realize that, you know, when you do have a problem with one drug and you truly want to quit that you actually have to let it all go, you know, um, and so while while you were having this experience, you, this was all you said outpatient. So you were going was, in, checking in with them, and then you had you got to go live on your own. Oh yeah, I was still okay. I still had my place and all, and and uh and it was just like a little outpatient thing, and um I I, I just kind of um you know wasn't didn't really work as much you know, at the time, just so I could do this little outpatient thing. It was like a couple of hours. And then, you know, maybe I would work at night or, 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 or work uh, around the schedule. But, um, you know, it was like a little thing. You, you go to classes, you're supposed to talk, uh, every, you know, just like at meetings, so to speak, everybody would talk. And they would also like want you to go to meetings. And I never really went to the meetings. Um, I would just come in and, and and somehow at that time, I um uh, I quit on my own opiates, but I was still so I went through withdrawals and like I actually quit. I was like, man, I, I do need to quit opiates. Like I do have a fucking problem, and I'm spending all of my money, and and this is like not good for my life. But like I said, at that time when I wasn't doing opiates. I um I was drinking more than ever. I was doing more cocaine, more somas, more Xanax. Like you know, I really wasn't doing any acid or anything. Like once I kind of started doing opiates, I stopped doing like you know LSD and, and that kind of thing. That, that was like more like you know in my early twenties to like mid twenties, but like my late twenties, I kind of hit stop that. It was more like, you know, once I started doing opiates, it was just a lot of mostly like I smoked weed every day and I drank every day, but it was like, you know, opiates was like the priority. So I start and 
I'm glad I, I guess I had this experience because later I could reflect on it and, and realize that, you know, they say if you think you can just quit one thing. Like it doesn't really work like that because you'll start to substitute other drugs. So it's funny at the time I wasn't doing opiates and I did get through like withdrawals and doing opiates every day, but I was drinking heavy, doing cocaine heavy, like doing somas. And I think that I guess substituting everything kind of helped me get through the withdrawals of the opiates, but I wasn't at all even thinking that I just thought I had a problem with opiates. Like I never had, I never thought that I had a problem with everything. So I do this little, I call it like this little bullshit thing at river Oaks and I, you know, I get through it and I'm kind of like starting to eat again and, you know, kind of looking a little bit healthier and uh, my family, everybody's like happy. And, and, uh, and then I remember, um, I guess, you know, I was kind of lucky because Katrina hit and it would have been really hard to try to get open for a little while. It was hard to get anything. So, and I also learned something else that I'm about to talk to you about, but you know, sometimes people, um, they decide like they want to remove themselves from a certain situation. Like, um, oh, well, I got to stop hanging out with these people or I got to quit this job or I got to quit this thing. Like if I stay away from this, this is my problem why I'm doing all these drugs. So I'll stop doing this and get away from that. And that'll, and that, that was my problem. Like, you know, well, Katrina hits. And, um, right after Katrina, um, I could have gone back to work because the port of New Orleans opened it back up, like, um, right away. I didn't lose my house. I didn't flood. So my house was okay. The port had reopened, like, right away. Um, they actually even put cruise boats out there, like, for people who had lost their homes. So you could actually stay and live on the ship because, you know, you can't stop the shipping industry. So that kind of came back right away. But I wasn't really interested at the time. I was like, you know what? I'm sick of this job. I'm going to take a little break. And my friend lives in Kentucky. And my friend Gerald called me and was like, hey, man, if you want to, like, come paint, I work in an airbrush shop. And, and, like, we need somebody. So, like, you could start to paint again. And it would be great for you. And just to change the scenery, change of, you know, because he kind of knew what I was going through. And at the time, Charlie, I was like, oh, man, this is great. Like, this is what I need. Like, fuck that job. Like, I'm going to get back to doing art. Like, I'm going to get away from my problems here. Like, that, all these problems, uh, you know, that I, that I have, I'm going to get away. and Everything's going to be all right. Mm. So I go to Kentucky. I go to Kentucky. And... My buddy was nice enough. Um, he had he had a place for me to stay, and um, he I immediately started working, and I was airbrushing at this shop with him. And then next thing you know, there was another guy who worked at the shop, and he gave me some of his shifts. So next thing you know, I'm working more than them. I'm like working all the time at this shop, and I'm just like, wow, this is awesome! Like 
I'm doing art again. I feel like I um, got my life back. I feel really good. Now, um, were you were you continuing with alcohol, weed, and cocaine? Well, so when I go after the River Oaks thing, after I, I did kind of you know calm down a little bit from from all you know substituting all this other stuff. Well, I was just kind of drinking and, you know, it wasn't like that easy to get drugs like during Katrina. And then all of a sudden I'm like, you know, this will also be great because like I'm going to go to Louisville, Kentucky and like I don't know anybody. Like I'm not going to be able to get drugs. This will be great. And my friend Gerald. He's always he's he's always been kind of like, you know, back in the 90s, people talked about like somebody was straight edge. They don't really talk about being clean and be like, oh, I'm straight edge. So. Gerald's mom was a drug dealer. She used to sell pot and and his and him and his parents both did a lot of drinking and drugging. So from a young age, Gerald was very turned off from drugs and never wanted to do it. Like he never really experimented with it much at all because he saw his parents and he didn't like it at all. So he was a really good influence. Like, hey, man, I can go be with my buddy. And he's not doing anything. He's going to help me out. And man, I'm going to be art doing art again. And I'm going to be in Louisville. It's beautiful there. I'm going to get back to the outdoors. Like every, you know, like everything's just going to fall into place. So I get there, I get my job. I start working. He and I kind of hanging out. Um, at the time, it's funny. My brother Richie came with me. I got him to come with me. He was with me for like the first two weeks. So. I, you know, I was telling my friend Gerald, you know, I was like, oh, man, you know, like, all my brother's here. Like, we're going to go out and stuff. Now, he never went out, but I was like, oh, man, you know, I was happy. Like, he and I were kind of hanging out. Like, I'm, I'm I'm doing art again. I was like, oh, man, while my brother's here, I want to start going out. So the first night that I go out, the first, like, the first night I go out, I tell him my brother, I was like, oh, man, look, you know, um. I had this little place that we were staying. Um, and uh, I said, uh, man, I'm like, uh, these people want to come over uh, after. I'm like, I just met this guy. I'm like, dude, he's got like cocaine. I'm like, he wants to come over and like party and shit. I was like, so when we leave here, her brother was like, man, like, how did you just meet somebody? Like, I had been hanging out at the bar the first night and I met somebody that like told me that they could get me some weed. And like, I don't even know how it came about. Like, it's almost like the people just come to me or something. And mm-hmm. next thing you know, I got somebody. So that night I'm hanging out and I'm partying and doing cocaine. And I got me a connection for cocaine. So wow. then, Jeez. Yeah. After one night. Yeah. Wow. So, so then I'm working at the mall and I'm working with like these young girls at the mall, like they're all like 18, 19 years old. You know what I mean? So, and at the time I'm like 35, but you know, I'm acting like a much younger person, you know what I mean? And they're used to my friend, Gerald, who's, who's, who's a very cool guy, but he's very different from, from me, you know, a little more serious about, about everything, uh, you know, than I am. So I'm like, kind of, I'm like hanging out these girls and I'm just like, Hey, you know, like, Next thing you know, I was like asking them, like, you know, they all like party. They all do, and they're like, oh, you know, we like to smoke weed and like we, we like drink and like you should come hang out with us sometimes. And, and I'm like, oh, yeah, that would be cool. You know, so I'm already like 
I'm like making these connections with all these people, like, like doing drugs. So what's funny is like in, in this, I learned, I learned later on that, you know, you can think that you're like moving away from your problems or what you thought was your problems or what you thought like, Oh, it was this scenario why I was doing stuff. It wasn't me. It was this scenario, a situation that I was in. Well, then I found, I found out that wherever you go, you really do show up. You know what I mean? Like wherever you go, <laughs> you, you show up and, and it's funny. I, so, you know, that when reminds I did, me of a quote. Uh, I think, I think the, I think it goes like wherever you go, there you are. Yeah. And, and it's funny it, because wow. later when I actually went to treatment on my own, all these things like River Oaks kind of came into play, me going to Kentucky. I think these experiences helped me make the right decision when I decided to go to treatment because I had at least had a little of experience on my own thinking that I was doing the right thing and still fucking up. So mm. I'm in, so I'm in another place thinking that like, Oh man, I'm with my friend who's straight edge and he doesn't drink or do any drugs and he's going to help me like get back into my art and man, I'm doing art again. And, and I'm have so I'm in Kentucky having a blast. Next thing you know, I'm hanging out with these young girls that are from the airbrush shop. I'm working in an airbrush shop in the mall, like painting again. And Making a bunch of money, I, I, I show up and I'm, I start making a bunch of money on my, and I'm like, wow, you know, this is great. I'm, I feel so good painting. I'm making money. Like I'm having a good time here. So next thing you know, I go hang out with these girls and like I'm bringing alcohol because, you know, they're young. I got money. I'm bringing some alcohol with us. We're, we're hanging out. They're like, oh, we got some weed. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Next thing you know, somebody's like, you know couple of times I'm drinking and smoking with them and, and then I was like hey you know actually you know I was like hey you know uh by any chance like y'all wouldn't happen to know anybody who has pain pills or anything huh mm. so next thing you know they're like oh yeah we get them sometimes we get them sometimes so then boom like I wasn't there like two weeks three weeks tops next thing you know I got a connection. I'm buying pain pills again. I'm making a lot of money airbrushing. I'm, I'm working. I'm, I'm working. I'm like the main guy now. Gerald started taking off so that I could like have his shifts. The other guy wanted to focus on some art artwork outside the shop. So he gave me all his shifts. Next thing you know, I'm working like almost every day at the mall, making a bunch of money. And every night I'm going out partying. And I got a connection for everything that I like now again. So here I am wow. like thinking I'm going to go somewhere else and start over and get away from all this shit that I wasn't really responsible for. And here I am. I'm very responsible getting it all started somewhere else. So it doesn't really matter where you are. You, can't, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you, you know, you do show up where you go. So, so I stay in Kentucky for a couple of months um uh like i mean i stay in kentucky for about two months actually no 
about two and a half months. I came home. It was like mid-September when I went to Kentucky. Mm-hmm. And I decided to come home right before Christmas because I had like talked to somebody and I had like a little, I got like a little, I mean, I knew I, I wasn't going to move to Kentucky. So at some point I had to come home. I still had an apartment that I was paying for at home. So I was like, okay, I got to get home and, you know, get back to reality. So I come home. And at that time, I decided, like, I was going to start, I was just going to paint again. But I was also, um, you know, um, doing doing all the drugs again, basically. So when I get when, home. When, when you came back, so when you came back, were you, did you have a mindset that, oh, man, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick these pain pills back up, back at home? Or no, not rec- at all. Did you recognize uh, that, that, oh, man, I just. I kicked the bucket on the on the pain pills and now I'm back at it. Like, were you nervous about coming home and restarting it? No, not at all. Actually, I'm glad you I'm glad you said this. Actually, when I was in Kentucky, I was like I had convinced myself, like, hey, you know what, man? Like, you know, you got this, man. Like, you you just like you you gotta just, you know, make sure you don't go overboard, like. You know, you like, you know, it was almost like I can't believe I let myself have a problem with these pain pills. Like I'm in control, man. Like I can like what I was doing before. That was ridiculous. Like I should have never gotten to that point. Like, let me just get back to what I used to do. Like I'm going to do some drinking. I'm going to smoke some weed. And like, yeah, I can do some pain pills sometimes, you know, but I was already doing. Look, as soon as I started doing pain pills again. I was doing them every single day. Mm. I mean, as soon as I bought some, I basically started buying them and, and I was doing them in Kentucky every single day. But I was also that little bit of time that I took a break and then started back. It was like I was at a different level. I, I, I almost like kind of put myself back to the beginning where it was like a lot of fun again, where I felt like, man, I, you know, it made me feel really good. You know, made me feel like no pain. Like I just felt great. You know, I felt like myself again. And then boom, I get home and I'm like, man, this is cool. Like I'm, I'm, I'm painting again. Like I'm in control. Like I'm not going to let myself get out of control with drugs. Everything's back to normal. Everything's good. You know, I felt like I was, you know, um, um, I felt good painting again. And I was, you know, oh man, I came home. My, 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 my family was so happy to see me. Like I, I looked, even though I was, you know, doing drugs again, I looked healthy. I was doing good. Cause I do think with drug addicts, you go through times when you might maybe do less or, or, or like you think you're doing, you're not doing anything at all. Like, oh man, I'm barely doing anything. Like maybe you're doing it every other day instead of every single day. And you think mm-hmm. like, man, I'm barely doing it. And you kind of, mm-hmm. you think you're, you know, you, you're starting to take care of yourself a little bit again, your personal hygiene, you're taking care of like, you know, being responsible. And so you start thinking in your mind, like, yeah, man, this is great. Like I'm doing it all. Like it's all, it's all good. You know, it's all good. So then I'm back at home and I'm, uh, I'm painting again. 
And then I even started doing some freelance work, like out of my studio at my house, uh, doing, doing a little bit. And then, um, I decided, um, you know, like, Hey, uh, I'm going to, um, you know, uh, everything's going to work out. Well, I found myself once again, doing a lot of drugs and I do feel like the more and more drugs that I was doing, it does take, it didn't help me in any way doing my artwork. And I do feel like it, it started to, uh, I wasn't really enjoying the art as much. I feel like the drugs start to take away from your spirit. I do believe that they eventually, you know, they take away that, that fire inside that passion, you know, mm-hmm. from, from the things that you love to do. So this was kind of like my second time realizing like, here I am again, trying to do artwork again, trying to canoe, trying to bike, trying to do, being a family member, like hanging out with people again, trying to kind of take myself out of that secluded world of drugs and like, okay, everything, um, is, is going to be good. But, but then I found myself like not really feeling like myself, not really having that same passion for art or that same passion for the things that I love to do. Because once again, I was starting to put the drugs in the front seat and everything else in the back. So and this is, this is all after you returned, uh, for, yes. from Kentucky. Yes. Okay. So, so you got like, right back into what you were. Yeah. So I kind of was like for, for like maybe like a year, maybe I start, I was painting again and I was doing once again, I was making money and I was doing pretty good, but I feel like I wasn't, you know, when you work as an artist, it's all up to you. It's like you're I wasn't getting paid hourly. You get paid on a percentage. So it's all up to you. Like you can make as much money as you want to make. Depends on how much you want to work. And I just find like, yeah, I was showing up at the mall and I was showing up to do art, but I wasn't producing as much. Because. I was just, you know, whatever, more worried about like getting off to do drugs or did I not have the fucking drugs for work or, you know, all these different things. So I found myself, I decided like, you know what, like subconsciously, maybe I thought, all right, I I really want to just do drugs. So I started, I went back to work um, on the river because I knew, boom. Like, I don't have, you know, I feel like artwork, it, it, it takes thought and it takes passion. And it, like, takes your spirit. And to just do a regular job, like, I don't really have to think about that. I don't really have to have any passion to do a regular job. I don't have to have any feeling to do a regular job. Like, I need those things as an artist. But, like, I don't need any of that to just go do a regular job and make some money. So I found myself back on the river just because I wanted to make more money um, to do more drugs again. Mm. 
So it didn't take very long, you know, like that little period before Katrina, that little bit, you know, of not doing opiates. I was back to it. You know what I mean? Like I basically had about two months, maybe two and a half months tops where I I didn't do any opiates. And like I said, I was back to it. And I will say this just so you know, because like you said, you know, some, maybe somebody who, who doesn't do it, drinking, cocaine, we, all these other drugs, I always felt like maybe there was some times when I got really out of control, but I can always be, I, I always would realize like, oh man, you know what? Like, Jesus, I've been doing too much cocaine. I gotta, I gotta take a break. Like I need to pull back a little bit and I would pull back and I would stop for a little while. Now, I didn't stop everything. I would just be drinking more, smoking more pot. But and it's important to say this. Doing opiates is the first drug that I've ever done that when I tried to stop, I couldn't because, because of the, uh, the, the, the physical withdrawals that you get. Mm-hmm. Withdrawals start in... You, you know, like for me, cocaine, I could just stop doing it. I didn't have any withdrawals. I, I would be thinking about it, but I could just stop doing it because I'd be like, dude, I need to get some sleep. I mean, I was just not, you know what I mean? Like I've been up for fucking too much for weeks. Like I, I haven't really slept much in a couple of weeks. So it's time for me to like get some sleep. And then I would just like smoke weed and drink. And for me, that was good. You know, like, oh, I'm just going to, you know, take a Xanax and get some sleep and, and, you know, but an opiate is the first time where, like, I couldn't stop doing something because of the physical withdrawals. So that was the first time, like, when I, where I realized, like, it's an addiction for me, even though the other things are addictions to me. That was the first that was the only drug where I felt like like an actual addiction that I couldn't stop. Mm-hmm. So I'm so, I'm so everything else. Here. Yeah, everything else was just. uh uh, just, just par for the course. Yeah. I felt um, like hey, everything else was just mental. I could stop everything else. It was just a mental thing. It wasn't a physical thing. Yeah. You know, we're, um, I'm back on the river full time. I decided to, um, you know, not really be not worried about artwork. I felt like I was, I was having a harder time producing artwork and I never realized it until I got clean that I was having problems doing artwork because as an artist, like, like that takes feeling. That takes, you know, um, that, 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 that passion, that fire inside, it takes feeling, it takes thought. And, and all of that was being removed from my drug addiction. You know, it's like I was telling you when you look at somebody and you can see they're like emotionless. Yeah. And I feel like it takes all that away and you become like the shell of a person. You know, you know one thing we didn't touch on, and I'm just curious, and, and all the way up into this point, did any of this ever create any suicidal thoughts for you? Not yet. At the end. OK. All right. But it didn't really. I didn't necessarily like my lifestyle, but it's interesting that you say that because when we get to this point, 
when we get to that later, that was one of the things I think that like just made everything click when I decided to get clean mm. because I didn't want to live anymore. Uh. So, all right, this is like, I guess I'm back on the river. It's like 2007, 2008. Well, I remember around this time, like I was telling you earlier with the pain pills, you start doing you know, so much that I remember this guy. I remember one time going to someone's house. And also at the time, you know, um, uh, this was actually before Katrina. Um, I don't remember exactly the time, like the year, but it was early 2000s. That's when like Oxycontin came out. Mm-hmm. So like instead of taking 15 pain pills in two or three somas to get a buzz, you could just crush up one Oxycontin 80 and get loaded. And then Uh. next thing I'm doing like, you know, so at the time when I'm doing all these pain pills, you know, somebody had offered me methadone, which methadone is actually a drug that they give you to come off of heroin. You can go to like these methadone clinics. I never did. But you can go to these methadone clinics and they give you methadone and it's supposed to help you with you. It's supposed to help you with your withdrawals to get off of heroin. But it's actually it's a strong it's just as strong as heroin. It's crazy. Like I don't it, these methadone clinics blow my mind because I remember. Um, I bought they call them wafers. It's like a little round thing. And I remember buying some wafers, some methadone wafers and taking those. And they would, you know, like, you you know, a pain pill might have been like five bucks a piece. And I'm buying like 15 of them where somebody was like, oh, man, like, that's crazy. You're taking all those pain pills. Like, why don't you just like buy a wafer for 20 bucks? That wafer is going to fuck you up. So I'm buying like a wafer and I'd be like, wow. So it was very potent. And at the so. It was like, I remember like really getting into Oxycontin 80s. And then sometimes I, I, I didn't like the, the, the methadone was like a real like sleepy downer. Now, I know a lot of people on opiates that do them for a long time. They you see them like nodding out, they call it, you know, where you're like they're kind of nodding out, like kind of ducking off. So mm-hmm. they call it falling asleep almost. But you but you're not. You just you're up, but you just. You're ducking off, you're nodding out, you, you're loaded, you, you know, but then like you, you know, you, not, your head goes down and you're up and you, you know, it's like, and it, this, this goes on like, you know, you, you're not really, you, you're, you're passing out throughout the day sometimes, but you're not really necessarily sleeping all night. It's like this weird cycle, but so I'm doing like, you know, um, and I, and I should have said that earlier, but like, like probably around, I want to say like, as early as 2003, I was starting to do oxy 80s and those were like great because they were cheaper and you didn't have to do as much because sometimes mm-hmm. it's hard to stomach 15 pain pills. Like you get nauseated, you know what I mean? Like that's a lot of pain pills to take and it hits your stomach real hard at one time. So it's like, um, it, it uh, <laughs> So this, this Oxycontin, and I'm saying all this because there's a progression. 
that I, I yeah. don't want to leave out. So mm. I'm doing the pain pills, maybe starting off with like five milligram pain pills, um, hydrocodone. And then next thing you know, you're doing 10 milligrams of hydrocodone. And then next thing you know, you're doing like, you're getting like oxycodone, which is stronger. And then you're doing like five milligram and 10 milligram. And then you're doing, like I said, then you're, you're doing like, you know, multiple pills and then you're adding somas to go with the pills. And then you're adding like a little piece of a Xanax to go with the pill to kind of, it all like to help you get that same feeling, but your body builds up such an incredible tolerance for these pain pills. That's why they're just an unbelievable how addictive they are. Your body builds up this tolerance so fast, you know, that, um, it, it's, it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's very, they're very easy to get addicted to. And, um, now you mentioned and, methadone, uh, later on. Did, did you ever get into heroin? Yes. So and that's, that's, this is the progression that I want to talk about. So, okay. So around this time, I remember I had already been doing, you know, the pain pills actually didn't really last that long. I was doing like Oxycontin, which is a pain pill too, but I'm saying like when I consider pain pills, like, you know, Laura tabs and Laura sets and Percocets, like I had switched early 2000s to like Oxycontin, Oxycodone, because they're really strong. And then the methadone. Um, and, and then I can remember around this time, I want to say it may have been earlier, but I think it was around 2007 that I went to a drug dealer's house and I had bought three Oxycontin 80s. And I was like, hey, man, you mind if I do them here? You know, everybody does that, you know. And he's like, yeah, yeah, no problem. So, you know, they had this coating you had to scrape off and you had to crush them up and like you would snort them. That's another thing. Like with the Oxycontins, like it was like a thing like you snort them. You could get really high by snorting them. Some people would actually shoot them, too. You could cook them and shoot it. So I was crushing up the Oxycontin and snorting them. So I bought three of them. So I guess the guy, like most people's thinking, I'm probably going to do half of one pill or something like that. So I'm sitting there and I scrape off the coating on all three and I crush up all three. Now, just so you have an idea, like an Oxycontin 80, it's 80 milligrams of Oxycodone with no cut. So that's basically like eight, 10, that's like eight, 10 milligram like oxycodone pills. So it's basically mm -hmm. like taking eight of them at one time, but it doesn't even have the aspirin to hurt your stomach. It's straight medicine, straight oxycodone without any cut. So that's like taking eight tens. So would I'm a normal person, like uh, if somebody that had no experience in this, would they, would, would, would that be enough to like just kill? Oh, like that, would, it would, that would like absolutely kill them. Okay. And that's just one. That's just one. Because like I said, it's 80 milligrams of oxycodone. So you think about, you know, 10 oxycodone, eight, eight, 10 milligram oxycodone pills. It's like taking eight. But then yeah. it's stronger because there's no aspirin. There's no acetaminophen that it's cut with. It's just straight oxycodone medicine. 
So, um, so you scrape off all the the coating yeah, of all so, three of these. So I'm there and I'm like, I scrape off all 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 three of them and I crush them up and I snort all three of them and the guy's like, dude, he's like, you just did all three of those. And I'm like, yeah, man. I'm like, I got to do like, one doesn't really do anything anymore. I'm like, I got to do like two or three of them to really feel good. And and look, I would like, this would be like in the morning before I go to work at seven or 8 a.m. I would be like, I would feel great. I could go work all day and night. Jeez. Like if, now if I wasn't working and I was at home sitting on my sofa, yeah, I'd be kind of ducking off. And But if I was out, you know, if I was on my feet on the river working, like, yeah, I, I would be like, it was like it would be like a different feeling. I would I would be like feeling great. So I remember the guy saying like, "Wow, man, I didn't know you did like I thought you did like maybe one." And he's like, and and look at the time. These things, the prices just escalated on these things. And I can remember when I was buying these oxy oxy cottons. I can remember at one time they were fifty dollars a piece. So I just bought three of them. It was 150 bucks and I just snorted it. And when I got off of work, I wanted to get three more. Jeez. So, you know, um, yeah, I mean, I wanted to have as much as I can and I, I would work a lot because I just wanted the money to keep coming in. I was making great money and I wanted to just, I didn't have a problem working. I just wanted to make sure I had drugs because all the, like, I wasn't worried about canoeing anymore. I wasn't worried about biking. I wasn't worried about, like, going into outdoors. I wasn't really worried about hanging out with anybody that didn't do drugs. I wasn't worried about, like, going to family dinner on a Sunday or, or hanging out with family. I wasn't worried about anything. I just wanted to work, make money, do drugs. That was my life. So, mm-hmm. I and remember how old that were you guy. At, the, at this time you were about uh 36 37 yes i was about 37 years old so i remember okay. the guy saying um i look it might have been a little bit earlier but i think it was like i can remember like 37 2007 i can remember you know somebody saying wow you know like i didn't know you were doing all of these, he's like, you ever just thought about getting heroin? Dude, it's much cheaper. Like, you could just get, instead of spending $150 on these three, you could just buy, like, a gram of heroin for, like, 100 bucks and get high a couple of times. And, you know, at the time, I was like, oh, man, I I don't, I don't want to fuck with needles, man. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't like, you know, messing with needles. So, you know, uh, and he's like, okay, well, you know, you could like snort it, you know. And so I eventually, of course, was like, yeah, whatever, man, I'll, I'll, I'll try it. And, and I can remember like trying it and without a doubt, you know, like, wow, like this is waste. Like, man, I'm wasting my time with these pain pills like that. This is so much cheaper and so much more potent. Like, I love this. So I'm like, man, I could just buy some heroin and like snort it. And this is like, this is so much cheaper and more potent. So I ended up, you know, of course, like all the people that I was buying drugs from, you know, most of those people that were selling pain pills could get heroin. And then if they didn't, I also like met drug dealers that had heroin 
And I remember in the beginning, I would go to someone's house that I know because I really was always, you know, in my head, as long as I don't shoot up, I'm okay. You know what I'm saying? So I would get my friend. I would always be like, man, I don't want to shoot up. Like, I don't want to get, like, I don't like needles. I don't want to do that. Like, can you help me out? Can you do it for me? And I can remember, and this was probably, like I said, around 2007 when I started to do heroin and I would just go to my friend's house and like, and he would uh, like do it for me. Like this is with the needle? Yes, with the needle. So, is, and I remember where you have like, to light it up and melt it and all that shit. Yeah, you'd have to like put it in a spoon and like cook it and like draw it up. And I can remember like no other feeling like heroin. Like it would, you know, just like going in your vein and, you know, putting a shot in. It was just like truly like at the time being a drug addict, I was like, wow, this is like the most incredible high. Like, like you don't care about any, you know what I mean? You feel like you just, you, you do it. It's like, bam, instant. You sit back and it's like, you could just literally like have a party in your mind, sitting on a sofa, not moving for three hours. Holy you know what I mean? Crap. Like, just like, wow. So anyway, of course, it didn't take very long that, you know, I didn't really want to have to go by somebody's house and they start pinching a little bit on your bag because you're asking them to shoot, you know, Oh, can you shoot me up? I don't want to do it. I don't like fooling with needles. So it doesn't take long to go like, okay, like now I'm sick of coming to this person's house. Like I'm sick of them pinching my bag. Like, you know what? Like, you know, just whatever. It's a needle. Just do it yourself. Like I've watched them do it enough. It's no big deal. So it didn't take very long. I would say a few months to really like just start doing it myself. And I will say this, I was doing, I was still doing like methadone. I was still doing Oxycontin. I was still doing hair. I was doing like, look, when you're a drug user and an everyday habit and you have an everyday habit, you're not really choosy. You just got to make sure you're getting enough drugs. So like if I couldn't get heroin, okay, well I'll, I'll get the Oxycontins. Yeah. They're more money, and I like the heroin better, but at least it's something. Or, oh, I can't get those. I'll get the meth. So it's like, you know, I just wanted to make sure I had something all the time. And Was there any time during the day, like at this point in your life, was there any time during the day where you you weren't high? Or is it was it basically 24-7 you were you were high? Well, yeah, I was doing drugs like around the clock at this time and you know what's funny is I, I was working on the river and i was working outside so you know you got to realize um everybody um you know everybody you know at this time it was a more right look they did drug test on the river but not much you would have to get in an accident to really get drug tested. So I, at, not so much anymore, but at this time, there was a lot more people working on the river all doing drugs. So it wasn't like a really uncommon thing. And I, I didn't necessarily have like a little office job where I was going in and like, I just seemed like so bizarre, 
like off the wall to like normal people. Cause I was like outside working, um, you know, in the field, so to speak, I, I would always say I was outside with the riffraff. Like we were all kind of doing our thing. Like, yeah, you know what? Like you getting your work done, everybody like very high functioning addicts, whether they're drinking, doing drugs, whatever drugs they're doing, everybody, a lot of people, you work a lot of hours on the river. And, and back then a lot of people would just do drugs. So I remember, um, thinking that, um, it wasn't like it was like I might not have looked that healthy or but I, I wasn't necessarily in close quarters every day with like a small group of people. Like I was outside working, doing my thing and, and everybody else was kind of doing their thing. So it was like easy. It wasn't like, oh, man, you know, so sometimes people would say, oh, no one really noticed that you were high or on draw. And, and I was always like, you know what, man, I was like. I was always available for work. I was always there for my shifts. I was, you know, I was never not. I mean, it was important for me. I always had like a strong worth ethic. Plus, I wanted to make sure I made the money. You know, it was like yeah. the only thing I really needed to support my habit was money. So I. Um, and by this time, you're uh, it, man, how long were you on heroin and when your family had to recognize changes in you uh once again at some point right yes well i will say this so um there was a place i was living in around 2008 i um i was kind of having a rough time i had already been doing heroin probably for like a year um i was working a lot of hours but i remember the house that i was living in got sold and I had to move and I didn't really want to move, but the guy was either going to, well, the guy had actually doubled my rent at first. He was basically trying to put everybody out so he could just like redo the whole house. It was like a, uh, like a double, but uh, mm -hmm. like a front and a back half kind of thing. And, um, so I remember like, I just paid the extra rent cause I, that was the last thing I wanted to do was fuck with anything like moving when you're a drug addict. So, I was able to like, I was making enough money, like, you know, doing my drugs. I, I paid him. So around 2008, he sold, I mean, uh, he, he was like, look, you know, um, I really like, I really just want to like redo this place, honestly. So, uh, uh, you know, I hate to do this to you, but I really just want to, I wanted, I wanted everybody out so I could just redo this house. So, I, I, you know, it's like, I, I'm actually going to live in it. So I'm not going to renew your lease, blah, blah, blah. So at this time, I moved, um, and actually I put, um, I remember uh, I stayed, believe it or not, very briefly because I didn't know what I was going to do. I almost didn't even care about a house um, at the time, but I had put some stuff in storage, and I, and that was like a relief to not have to worry about anything, and I actually moved back in with my parents my dad was still alive and i didn't care because i was working a lot i wasn't gonna be there i did a lot of drugs like in my vehicle you know like my truck was like my second home mm -hmm. i had really dark tinted windows and whenever i wasn't working i was just like 
out in the street. You know, I had like areas where like I would park that I would feel safe. And I would just like literally like sometimes, you know, I was actually like I would just sleep in my truck because I would be like close to work because I didn't really care. I wasn't really taking care of myself the same way. And and, and like I said, and you know, I would just be I was also like 38 years old, but still my parents were worried about me. But I would just be like, oh, I'm going to be working all night. And that wasn't like an uncommon thing to do. Uh, on the river so it wasn't that i did live with them but i was gone i stayed gone a lot of times i I hung out with people that did drugs i would hang out at their houses and 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 then um but then eventually um i did uh i did want to kind of have my own place and and not have to like be living with my parents because you know my dad was like he knew, I mean, everybody knew I was on drugs. I mean, I was the only person that didn't want to admit it, you know, like they, everybody could just see, I wasn't the same person at all. My personality had completely changed. I was very, um, I wasn't, um, very outgoing or, 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 or funny or telling stories or, or just like, I really didn't like to interact a whole lot. Like I really just, you know, I just remember at this time, uh, probably like 2008, you know, drugs were like, you know, without a doubt, the most important thing in my life. And probably, uh, I would say I might've lived at my parents for not less than a year. And I found, I literally found like a really cheap double, half of a double. I found like a really cheap half a double because like, I just wanted to make sure I had like really cheap rent because like I wanted like all of my money for drugs. And I thought it would be cool. Like having my own place that no one knew about. So like nobody would come over because I wasn't going to tell anybody where I lived. My first place, I used to have a lot of parties, man. So like people were constantly stopping by. So I was kind of happy. I should say this. I was kind of happy to move from that apartment. Because that house, because everybody I ever met in my life knew where I lived. And it was a very convenient location for people to stop by. Mm. And I was happy to be away from that place. And of course, I didn't like living at home with my parents, but I didn't care for a little while because like I was I was kind of regrouping, like, you know, like trying to regroup financially and and like you know, get caught up on some things while still doing drugs. And then, like I said, it was probably, I feel like it was only like maybe eight months that I stayed there and I got another place and it was cheap and I got all my stuff out of storage. And I literally just, my new apartment was almost like a storage facility that I lived in because I basically like put all of my stuff in this place And I pretty much just, I only set up what I absolutely needed. Like I set up my bed and then there was like boxes in my room. And like those back room was just like a storage area. It was all my boxes. And then I set up like, like, you know, I kind of set up, you know, a little living room area with a sofa and a TV and my tape. And like, you know, there's always times in like a drug addiction where you, 
you feel like you're doing better than other times. And I, I felt like, oh, man, you know, I got this place. I'm going to do good. I'm, I'm going to chill out on drugs, even though, like, I wasn't. I was like, this is going to be good for me. Like, nobody did knows you, what. Did I'm you sorry. have, like, your friends at this point in, in, in the stage in your addiction? Did, did you have a big friend circle or, or were you sort of isolated? No, very isolated. And, and I was somebody who always was like the life of a party. And I did know a lot. Look, I'm one of seven kids. My dad was a bar owner. I worked in the mall. I used to go out a lot. I'm very outgoing. Like I had a lot of friends and a lot of people. And I'm glad you said that because that's another thing. Very important. I basically around this time, I would just stop answering my phone. Like, I didn't want to talk to anybody. Like, you know, I would have friends that would call me and just be like, oh, dude, I, I just want to tell you, like, I just finished this painting and I can't wait for you to see it. And, oh, man, I just got this. I got two pieces of art in a gallery and like, oh, man, like, like I'm doing like, oh, man, I just had a kid. Oh, man, I just bought a house. Like, oh, man, I just like none of that stuff meant anything to me. And I didn't want to hear it. And not only did I didn't want to hear it, but like, I didn't necessarily like, like, what was I going to say? Like, oh man, I, I, I shot up. I just, you know, like I do drugs whenever I'm not working. You know what I mean? I had nothing. I didn't have canoeing stories. I didn't have like biking stories. I didn't have like fun going out stories. I had like no story. Like I had so by, nothing to say. So by this time you're saying that basically you were, all of the stuff you were into, the the shooting up, the the alcohol, the drugs, you were really on an island by yourself. Like there was nobody that was keeping up with you in this area. No other friends. I, I did have a handful of friends that I normally I didn't look. I didn't necessarily like hanging out with people that much because, look, I made money and a lot of drug addicts don't have money. I was making enough money to buy the drugs that I wanted and I didn't want to give any of my drugs to anybody. And I knew like mm -hmm. all these other people that I know, uh, they were always like, you know, scraping by like, you know, doing all the shady shit to get money for drugs, like, Oh, selling drugs, but like pinching everybody's bags to get their own drugs, you know? And, and so and and that was enough. That was actually another reason, like I was saying, when I was living at home with my parents, I was hanging out with a few, like a handful of people that were doing drugs. And I got sick. I was like, you know what? I want to have my own place again because I'm tired of like, you know, I'm I'm coming here to do drugs and then they don't have any and they want some of mine and and oh they uh, want to get me stuff because they know I'm working and they're always calling me trying to get me stuff because they know oh if, they, if I get him stuff. You know, oh, we could just tell him it was a little small. I don't know what happened. The guy was small, you know, and when you mm -hmm. and when you, you know, beggars can't be choosers, you know, so I would just take what I could get. But when I moved into this place around 2000, late, like maybe 2008, 2009. At that time. I pretty much had been like a heroin user, like I was I like 2008, 2009, I, I know for sure, like I had really stopped doing pain pills and, and really like, and I was also not really drinking that much because I really wasn't going out. I did drink, 
don't get me wrong, I did drink, but like, like heroin was my priority, and all my money was gonna go to heroin. Like, I, you know, I would buy Xanax. I did like to buy Somas because I thought that by taking Somas and taking Xanax, they kind of helped to go with the feeling of like if I got some heroin that maybe wasn't so strong, like the uh, muscle relaxers and the Xanax would would help to kind of. To me, I felt like it helped to give me that feeling if the heroin wasn't that good. And like I did still drink and I did still smoke weed and I but but it was the priority was more like, you know, get get. um, And, you know, another thing, which is, you know, I kind of left out. but, But, you know, I also like when I would go to buy drugs. You know, sometimes I would um, go to buy heroin and my buddy would be like, you know, the guy would be like, oh, you know, I'm waiting. That's going to be tomorrow. But, you know, I got I got some uh, cocaine or I got some crack or and and I actually smoke crack, too. I mean, I actually. Off and on, probably from. 2005 wasn't like a drug of choice by far, but if it was available, I would just take whatever I could get, you know what I mean? So sometimes you go to a dealer and they might not have one thing and they would do another. So I did sometimes do that. And and then I even got to totally different highs, but I can remember like, you know, later on, um, you know, Closer to the end of my drug addiction, um, I really enjoyed uh, shooting up heroin and cocaine. So I would buy both. I liked heroin more, but you get to the point with drugs that you got to just keep taking, you know, even like the heroin when you first start, it's like, and you, you know, you put the needle in your arm and it's like, boom, immediately you feel it. Well, eventually, you keep doing it, you keep doing it. And it's like every drug that you just keep doing, you just need more and more and more. So then what happens is you're like, I'm doing more and more and more heroin. And I'm like, you know, okay, you know what? Like, let me try shooting up this cocaine. Like everybody says that's fun. And then you shoot up some cocaine. You're like, wow. Like, cause it's something different. So like all of a sudden you're not feeling the heroin anymore. So you could shoot some cocaine and like, bam, you start feeling that. So like it, it's a, it gets to a point where like you'll do anything, you know, I remember closer to the end, I started drinking heavy again, like not going out, but I would just, you know, buy a bottle of vodka. So while I'm doing everything else, I would probably drink a bottle of vodka in a night because everything kind of together sort of like helped me to get a certain high so um did you like during this time as you were approaching like your 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 bottom you know the 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 bottom of all of your experiences uh did you think of any future like of you not doing this or did you recognize in yourself at that point like this is uh this is too far along and and then like what and I'm just I can only imagine what your body was going through shoving all this stuff into your body. Like what what the uh, you know, the the 
physiology in, in everything that's going on inside of your body. It's just, it's pretty incredible. You were taking things that, I mean, you would take stuff in a day that would probably kill somebody. Absolutely. And, and also, you were doing it every single day. And I'm also like, I think this is also um, important to say, like at this time, like my personal hygiene was terrible. I wasn't taking showers every day. Like you just literally, when drugs become the most important thing in your life, everything else really doesn't matter. So like I wasn't taking, now I will say this. So I get this place and then I feel like, okay, this is great. Nobody knows where I live. Like I'm working more than ever. I'm like making more money than ever in my life. So I'm, I have the money to do the drugs that I want to do for the most part. And then about, um, halfway, like, um, I move in this place, like I said, around 2008, 2009, um, over the next couple of years. Yeah. I, first of all, well, I'm not going to the grocery anymore. Like I really never went to the grocery. I, everything I ate was like from a gas station. Like I would go to the gas station to buy cigarettes and I would buy like, I literally like drank Cokes all day long. I would get like Snickers bars, you know, and um, I would eat like candy and Cokes. Like literally I would eat like, you know, two Snicker bars and like drink Cokes all day. And, and literally like that was like my food at some point. That was like, you know, what I would eat. I mean, like sometimes I would like, you know, order a pizza and just eat a whole pizza or it's not that I never had any appetite, but, but I wasn't really, it wasn't, I wasn't really that worried about food anymore. I was most worried about like getting the drugs that I needed. And, and I can remember, um, this is when shit starts to really fall apart. Like, I'm not saying it didn't beforehand but but when like you know when when i started shooting up heroin and cocaine i mean like i said i was like smoking crack i'm drinking I, I'm, I'm pretty much doing anything i could get my hands on um you start um like really like nothing else really matters in your life so i'm not you know you you start like you know, almost becoming like an animal. It's like I said, like my house didn't even look like I lived there. Like I had, un like it, I didn't even unpack. Like, you know what I mean? Like mm. what actually the only thing I really did was it's so funny. Like, and this is another thing I like to talk about because later on it's like, I'm the total opposite, but like, I can remember putting like room darkening shades on my windows, uh, blinds, in curtains like i wanted everything blacked out like i didn't want no fucking sun coming in i didn't want nobody to be able to see you and mm. like i said i hadn't really unpacked i really wasn't cooking or entertaining i didn't want anybody to come over i honestly didn't my family members would try to come check on me but like my house was not really you know I just had a few things set up and I, and, you know, I, I kind of did what I had to do, but, um, I wasn't really eating uh, a lot. I was losing a lot of, I was getting really skinny and I can remember about, 
I would say probably about three years around, you know, like maybe not exact timing, but probably around 2010. So I'm like 40 and I can remember like having my cable cut off and, and, and like I had had bills cut off before and like I would pay to get them back cut on. And I can remember around this time, about three years before I got clean, a little over three years, I can remember like my cable getting cut off and like, I'd be, and I wasn't worried. I was like, you know what? Like, fuck it. Like, I don't care about TV. Like, I don't need, like, that's just one less bill I got to worry about. And then I can remember, like, you know, in the next, in these three years, like, sometimes my gas getting cut off, my energy bill getting, my energy getting cut off. And, like, and, and sometimes it wasn't even a lot of money. It was just, like, you stop caring about responsibilities. I started paying rent late. I was always late. And this was like three years before, um, you know, probably three years um, where I'm like, you know, every couple of months I, I got to, you know, I get home, my power's cut off. I got to like pay my bill. And, you know, I was like starting to make loans uh, from my credit union. You know, like it's very easy. Like when you have a credit union through your job, like, it's like a bank with people that want to help you. Like I've known them my whole life and they sometimes will get you money that like is not even really available for you, but they'll get it for you because they know like they're going to get their money because it comes out of your check. Mm. So like I would always be like, it would always kind of work out if I needed more money. I would have like loans. I was making loans at the credit union constantly. As soon as something came available, I'd make a new loan and be like, all right, cool. I got the money now. I'll get my, my, my power back on, I'll get my gas back on. And like I said, a lot of times it might not have even been a lot of money. It's just like, you know, starting to fail on being a responsible human being in life. Like, because like it was as crazy as it may sound like in the winter time, I can remember not having power and like not really giving a shit. Like I was in my house with a candle like, wow. because I had my drugs, you know, and then be like, oh, yeah, I'll get it. Like, I'll have the money, like, tomorrow. So, like, what's a day or two without power? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I put a few candles on and it wasn't the summertime. And, and even though, even that, like, you know, like, you know, like, like, like things like that don't even really bother you. Because, like I said, the most important thing, as long as you have your drugs. It's the most important thing. So I can remember, um, you know, just like not eating a lot. Um, and, and, and like I said, it was like basically like, and the only bill that I really cared about, the only bill that I ever freaked out about, like is if, is if like they were going to cut me off was my phone because I needed my phone for my drug dealers. Like I had to make sure I had a phone to get in touch with my drug dealers. So, It was like, you know, other bills like, yeah, you know what? I would like borrow money from somebody and get my energy cut back on. And this was like for three years, like, you know, every like couple of months, um, you know, I would like get my power cut off and then get it put back on. And then, 
And then, like I said, and, and, and I'm going to touch on a few things that at one time I was like, I didn't really like to talk about because it was almost like, wow, it just seemed like so like just crazy that like I was embarrassed and I didn't even want to talk about it because I was like, I wasn't raised like this. But I want to say it because it just it just goes to show you like just how serious addiction is and what it can do to somebody who wasn't raised like this and who knows better. But I was always paying my rent late. So I did eventually get evicted. But I do remember always being late on my rent. And you know what? I was every addict's a bullshitter. I always had a good story. My landlords liked me a lot. I was I could always put on that face, you know? Yeah. I could always like go in there and like blow smoke up their ass and they loved me and you know, and gave them a little story and a song and dance and like got got caught up and I guess it was like I guess they, they kind of knew like, well, we all going to eventually get our money, even though it's a pain in the ass It's better than just like having a deal with like getting another tenant. And I didn't cause any trouble. You know what I'm saying? Like I didn't even come outside. Like I wasn't like, you know, I didn't have people over. <laughs> I didn't know any of my neighbors. I love, mm-hmm. you know, and it was so different from what I knew, like before I knew all of my neighbors, I knew everybody in the neighborhood. Everybody knew me. Like, we would always interact and, you know, have like get togethers. And then, you know, now it is like, I don't know anybody. I love that. I don't know anybody. And then, and then, like I said, eventually, um, I, um, I can remember, uh, about, hopefully I'm not getting too far ahead of myself, but I can remember, um, about a year, about a year, over a year it had to be over a year over a year before i got evicted my gas got cut off and it wasn't even a lot of money but i can remember so i remember the cable went like three years before i got evicted and that was the least of my worries a cable bill i was like cool good riddance so over a year before I got evicted, my gas got cut off and it wasn't even a lot of money to get it cut back on, to put back on. But I can remember thinking like, and this is how you rationalize your things as a drug addict. But I can remember thinking, okay, well, I don't cook. Like, I don't care if it's cold. Like I had, you know, a floor furnace in this shotgun double i was like i'll bundle up i don't really care about if i have heat or not and i got electricity so i got electric heat i could put a little electric heater in front of me and i was like i'm not cooking anymore i really wasn't taking care of myself i wasn't really taking showers regularly or much at all toward the end at this time so i remember thinking fuck it I'm not even going to get my gas put back on. So <laughs> over a year before I got evicted, um, I didn't have gas and I never put it back on. And I can, re- and I know it was over a year because it was something that my landlords uh, complained to me about later on when I finally 
got clean and settled up with them because I, I ended up owing them a lot of money. Um, and when I got clean, I did go make it right. But um, I um, so and, when they bitched because they had to get the house inspected again because the gas had been cut off for over a year. <laughs> oh my gosh! Did yeah. when when was it that you actually hit rock bottom? So I can remember. All right, I got evicted. Um, my dad died in uh, 2013. And I can remember a few months later, like um, spring, early summer, I got evicted. And I didn't even care about getting evicted. I didn't even give a shit. I was just like, fuck it. I don't need any of this shit. And luckily, my family was nice enough to come over like basically they packed my house for me and were like, you know, we're going to put your shit in storage, Errol. Like, this is ridiculous. So I didn't really care. I didn't even, sometimes I wasn't even there, like helping my family pack me, pack me up for storage, mm. you know, because I wasn't really, I wasn't worried. I was like, I don't even care. Like, I felt like a relief, like, this time I was like, oh, this is going to be great. Like, I don't care. I don't have to worry about anything but drugs. So they did put all of my stuff in storage. They helped me. Um, and like I said, I got, I was evicted like late spring, early summer. And I can remember um, like a sense of relief, like, wow, like I don't have any bills now. Like I can, like I got put gas in my truck. And I can, you know, like I can just 100% focus on drugs. So this is like my, my, my mindset at this time. Like, okay, cool. Like you get to this point where just to show you how important drugs are to a drug addict that like I was okay with being evicted. I was okay with all of my stuff being in storage. Because I knew, like, I wouldn't have all these bills that were stressing me out that I kept not paying. So now I can just focus. And and like I had said, even a few years earlier, I spent a lot of time in my vehicle. Like, if I wasn't at work, I didn't care about anything. Like, I was okay just, like, being parked somewhere in my vehicle getting fucking high, getting loaded. It didn't matter. And at this time... I would have never done it if my dad was alive, but I would sometimes go to my mom's house. I would like pop in my mom's house and sleep on the sofa for like two nights and like do some laundry or I would go like sleep at my brother's house and like a couple. And I kept telling my brother I was going to move in with him, whether he wanted me to or not. I was like, oh, I might move in with you and I'll help you pay your bills and which was all bullshit. But I would go sleep at my brother's house a couple of times. And then, and then, like I said, I would just sleep. Look, I had really dark tinted windows and I would just go in areas that I felt okay with. Like I wouldn't be like fucked with by the police or anything, like in an area where I, I had been going to for years, getting loaded. And I would just like park and like just crash out in my truck and like wake up and go to work. I would like park somewhere close to work. So like for a couple of months, 
I was uh just like basically like literally like living out of my car for like a couple of months. And um I can remember um during this time, even though I had like this sense of relief not having like these bills and like these headaches and like these responsibilities, like I just had to focus on work and drugs. Uh, I looked like shit. I had lost a ton of weight. I, you know, my normal weight was um around 235, 240. I was probably under 200 pounds. Um, uh, I was definitely under 200 pounds. I'm six foot five. So I was like skin and bones. I mean, like literally you can see my ribs. Um, um, I, uh, and I was just working a lot, you know, and nobody, it's funny. Like, even though like I always, like, I always did a great job at work. And nobody ever is funny. Like, I, I I think about it sometimes. I'm like, nobody ever really, like, you know, told me anything. Because I, I always showed up. I was always on time. I always did my job. I always did a good job. Like, I never had, like, mistakes. Or I was messing up. It was very important to me. And I had my money. And I had my drugs. And that was all I needed. Like, literally, anything else in my life meant nothing. It was, at this point, it was like, Drugs for survival, and that's it. And and I can remember in these couple of months being like, man, you know, I guess it hit me eventually. At first it didn't, but over a couple of months, you know, like this whole summer, I'm like living out of my truck, you know, sleeping at my brother's every once in a while, sleeping at my mom's every once in a while, crashing at my sister's every once in a while. But like, you know, just eventually, like, you know, wanting more and more drugs. Like I said, this this year before I got clean, I was starting to shoot up cocaine like as much as I could. Like whatever I had money for, I, I was doing heroin, shooting up cocaine, drinking a bottle of vodka every day, taking somas, Xanax, like smoking crack if it was available, like anything that was available. Like, yes, heroin was my priority, but but drugs of any sort were essential for me to live and you know, for the longest time, I never really thought any of this was that weird or bizarre because it's a, you know, like it's a progression that happens, not like overnight. Yeah. Slowly, but surely over years kind of happens. And when you're in it, you don't realize the people on the outside are just like, holy shit, like this is insanity. But on the inside, you're just like, this is just your life. So at this point, at this point, you're like a, a homeless drug addict. That, that's essentially what you had going on for you. Is you, you yes. were living out of your truck. Yeah. And, 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 and like the only communication I had with anybody really was like anybody that sold me drugs, like coworkers, of course, because I had to. But outside of work, there was like maybe like three people that I hung out with to do drugs sometimes and drug dealers. But, you know, mainly 
drug dealers and really like at this point I really wasn't even going to family functions because I just I didn't have anything to say it wasn't anything I wanted to do it wasn't like I, I wasn't that I wasn't that guy anymore like I didn't want you know what I mean like I didn't have anything to say at a family function yeah um you know even my immediate family or the large-scale family you know um so anyway I uh I remember uh after a couple of months of this, I guess it kind of hit me, which it seems like, like most people would think, how could it take you so fucking long to hit you? But I can remember like you were 42 at the time or 43. Well, I was actually about to turn 43 and okay. I can remember. I can re- actually remember. <clears throat> about two weeks before my birthday, which is like in September. I can remember about two weeks before my birthday. Now, I had been doing this like like probably end of May, June, July, August, beginning of September, like almost four months just kind of living out of my vehicle, sleeping on some sofas, like, you know, like just – 100% 100% spending my money on drugs. I mean, look, I mean, it's crazy when I got clean to think of all the things that I just did not. I just, you, you literally, and I, I don't want to leave things out because you don't care about anything. And I wasn't raised like this. And I was a very responsible person my entire life. So I can remember, like, I didn't have any, I'm driving around. I'm in my vehicle all the time. I had an expired brake tag. I had an expired uh, registration close to the end. I didn't have any insurance close to the end. So I'm like, I could have easily been pulled over and like, you know, no insurance, no registration, no brake tag. Um, And then, um, so, and my license was about to expire on my birthday too. So I can remember about two weeks before my birthday, like everything kind of being caught up to me and maybe just thinking like, holy shit, man, like what the fuck happened? Like, you know, I think it took that long coming up on a birthday for some reason was something that got to me like thinking like holy shit man you're about to be 43 years old you've been like living out of your fucking truck you do drugs like all day every day it's the only thing you do you look like shit you don't care about anything you don't care about yourself like and i just kept thinking i don't know how much longer i can do this man like and i really just i never thought I really never thought, like, oh, I want to do something about it. That really wasn't a thought, like, let me try to do something about it. It was more like, I just don't want to live anymore. Like, I just felt like, and this was probably, like, actually more like at the end of August where I felt like, man, I don't, I just don't want to live anymore. Like, and I don't know how much longer I can keep living this life. And I do feel like at this time, 
I should say this. I felt like I was doing the largest quantities of drugs I've ever done in my life. And I was actually hoping that I would just overdose and not wake up. And I didn't want to live anymore. And it was closer to my birthday when I thought like, fuck, man, I wish I could just kill myself. But I don't know. I don't know. Look, maybe if I gave myself more time, I probably could have just done it. But I don't know how people kill themselves because just the act of taking your own life is so. Even though I was totally fucked up and delusional and like so far removed from like the arrow that I like that, I you know, used to be, I still like couldn't imagine killing myself like 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 actually taking my own life. But I can remember thinking like. I've had enough, man. Like, like, and I never thought like, you know, maybe you can go to treatment and turn it around. It was more like, I've just had enough. I'm tired of this lifestyle. Like, I just want to fucking die. And then I remember feeling like that a lot for like about a month. And then on my birthday, I remember going to talk to my mom and I just kind of told her, like, you know, mom, I don't really know. I don't really know what to do anymore. Honestly, I really don't know what to do and I need help. And I think I also should say this real quick. I was so worried about work all the time. I was always like, I can't not work. I can't not work. I think it was it's like instilled in me from my dad, like just being a hard worker. You know, he always had like two or three jobs. And I think it's funny that even though I was a drug addict, I was always a hard worker. Wow. And I always showed up for work, even though everything else was like completely like shit falling <laughs> apart. But I always made it to work. And I kept thinking, like, I don't know, like, I think I want help. But I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, how am I going to not work? And I can remember before my dad died, which was, you know, nine months earlier. I remember a few months before my dad died, he was, you know, always like, you know, you got to work. You got to work hard. You got, you know, so that was definitely like in me. But I can remember my dad telling me one time, like, what difference does it make if you work? You're so fucked up. Why don't you go? Like, I don't understand any of this shit, but like, why don't you just stop working and go get help? Cause it doesn't matter. You're not doing anything with the money you make except buying drugs. So what's the difference if you're working on it? So why don't you just go get help? And he didn't understand this. Cause you know, being old school, it was like, you just got to be mentally strong. Why would you, you know, like, you shouldn't be, like, such a pussy. Like, don't be such a, you know, like, you just got to be strong. Like, you got to be mentally strong and, like, just stop this shit. And I think, you know, I finally just talked to my mom and just said, look, you know, I, I'm going to try to talk to work and, like, tell them that I'm going to take some time off and, and I still didn't want to tell work that I was on drugs, even though everybody knew I was on drugs. 
I was like, I'm going to tell him I'm going to take a little break and go to Kentucky and do some artwork. But I think I want to try to get some help. And of course, my mom was like, you know, lit up and was like, anything I can do. And then, you know, she called my sisters and like, they were like, you know, yes, like anything that you can do, like, we'll help you. And, 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 you know, you should just do it today. You know, I was like, no, no, no. I was like, look, I, I just, I want to get everything. I don't, you know, I want to, I want to like, you know, I want to make sure, you know, it's so funny. Like, I, I'm still worried about, I'm like, I want to kind of give work like a two week kind of notice thing. Like I want them to be like, I want to, I want everything to be okay when I leave work. And, and like, I want to, you know, um, and, and I, and I thought I wanted to do this because I couldn't kill myself and I didn't want to live anymore. And I guess it finally hit me like, you know what? Like maybe you can just try. And, um, I found the place, believe it or not. I found the place that was in the woods. Somebody told me about it actually. And I, they, I didn't really find it. This is like a recovery place. Yeah. A friend of mine told me, he's like, man, I got this place in uh, Mississippi in, in Etta, Mississippi, uh, like right outside of um, uh, Oxford, you know, um, Mississippi. And it's in the woods. And like, that'd be a good place for you, man, in the woods. And I looked it up online with my mom. And I was like, oh, man, this looks, you know, I saw it. It was like a lake and it was just like trees. And it was like, you know, literally like this place in the middle of nowhere. And I was mm-hmm. like, you know, I actually remember thinking like, I think, ma, I think this is the place I should go. Like, I want to get away. Like, I want to go somewhere. I think this is the place. And they were like, yeah, you know, let's do it. Like, you know, so I got my birthday was like September the 13th. So I had told her I wanted about two weeks to kind of like get, you know, all my shit was already in storage. So I didn't have to worry about that. Everything I had was like in my truck and um, how I didn't get arrested or pulled over like that, that. That's a whole nother thing. But like there was there was a couple of times like before I got clean that I was really, really close. Like my drug dealer, like literally hooked up with me. And then their next hookup was a drug bust. And that happened oh, twice. Man. So wow. like I was that was another reason why I kind of felt like my luck was eventually going to run out and. I was starting to have a hard, t- I was, I was also, I should say this too. I was also starting to have a hard time paying the drug, drug dealers. Like I literally, my drug, my main drug dealer used to meet me every Thursday at the bank parking lot because I used to give them literally, I would pay my phone bill and have enough money for gas because I needed gas money for my truck. And then I would basically give him like all the rest of the money because they were, he was fronting me. He was pretty much, I got to a point where he was fronting me so many, so much drugs that I never really could get caught up. But at least he always knew like he was going to get my whole check. He literally knew. He literally knew. So like this guy would meet me at the bank and I would be like, dude, I need money for my phone bill and I need money for gas. And like I said, I was eating like I was drinking Cokes and eating Snickers bars. So I really wasn't spending that. That was what I spent my money on, like my phone wow. bill, gas in my truck and like some bullshit food. 
And then so you all you go you do all of this and all you make the decision yourself to get clean. And so as you're thinking about this place in the woods, did, did you um, were you like coming to the realization that this was going to be for everything like uh, alcohol? No, the whole <laughs> no, no, not at all. So that's a good, that's a good question. So I uh, so I decided to go to treatment. My mother and my sister were nice enough to bring me, and um, they dropped me off October the seventh. Um, and of course, like the week before, I was just out of control. Like when I made the decision to do it, I was you know like every drug addict. You um, I'm, I was like. I'm going to go out with a bang. Like, you know what I'm saying? Mm. So I was like, you know, I, I mean, it doesn't, as crazy as it may sound, like, how could I do more? But I was just like, you know what? Who cares? Like, I'm just, you know what I mean? This is my last little hurrah, you know, like I'm just doing it up till the end. And I remember, um, they drove me. And man, when I tell you this place was in the woods, you know, like Oxford, Mississippi, that's like where Ole Miss is located. It's like a little small town. And this is Etta, Mississippi, which was like, it took about a 30 minute ride to get to like the little city. Like, so I was like, like, I mean, you really like, I remember when I did get there and finally went, you know, they would, they would, they would joke around telling people like, you can leave if you want to, but it's going to take you a long time by foot to get anywhere <laughs> because, you know, like it, it would, they would bring us to meetings all the time and it would be like a 30 minute ride just, just to get out of the woods. So and, at this point, when you, when you, uh, when you go to this place, you just wonder like your body has to be completely freaking wrecked. I mean, like, the, the, I can't imagine what the inside of your body looks like after all these drugs, man. Like, that, yeah. So look, so look. Like, I'm glad you said that. So you know, they weigh you when you go in there, and this is gonna. I mean, this is just truly like the insanity of drug addiction. I'm six foot five. Most of my life, I weighed around two thirty five to two forty. That was like a good weight that I held most of the time. So pretty good sized guy. I go to treatment. They weigh me. I'm 179 pounds. Jeez. You know wow. what I mean? Like literally almost 60 pounds lighter than normal. And, 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 and when I was 235, 240, I'm not fat. I'm just like a big guy. So mm. I'm skin and bones, man. And, uh, I so show you, up. Do you, do, can you freely leave whenever you want to, or once you're once you show up, you're locked in for a certain period of time? Uh, I mean, obviously, if you want to leave, they can't hold, they can't keep you. But I, when I made the decision to do it, you know, because I really, I, I think that not wanting to live anymore, I, and I real, I just, I felt like my luck was going to run out, and I just, I can't keep doing this lifestyle and. I don't know what else to do. So fuck it. Let me just try this. So, and I remember like my mom and my sister, you know, they're not really like outdoors people. And I remember like it took a long, I felt like I didn't think about this until after I got clean, but I was like, how, how they got out of there. 
and back on the road. I don't know because neither one of us <laughs> is that good with directions. So I'm oh, like, man. I don't know, but it was nice enough to bring me. And I remember my mom being like, are you sure you're going to be okay? Because, I mean, it was like, and I was like, mom, I think this is really where I need to be. And I just knew, like, nature was going to be like, had to, it was, I, I just knew nature had to be part of my recovery. Mm. Because, so I show up, fucked up out of my mind. I mean, fucked up. I literally show up. They're supposed to check me in, but they were like, they had, they were busy checking somebody else in. So they were like, oh, you're going to have to wait a minute. And I can remember, like, I went and just passed out in this chair. Wow. And I was just passed out, you know, until they woke me up. And, uh, and I remember, like, I had, like, a bag of clothes. Like, you know, that was a whole ordeal, like. You know, I showed up. We were supposed to leave like early in the morning. My mom and my sister, like, they give me shit about this all the time. But we were supposed to leave like early in the morning, and like 9 a.m. or something like that. And of course, I show up at like 6 a.m., fucked up out of my mind, passed out on a sofa. They were trying to get me up. They're aggravated, but they're trying not to like, but they're trying not to piss me off because, you know, like every addict, like, you think you know everything. And, you kind of like get like where you're in a bad mood, you know, everything better than everybody else. And so they were trying not to like, you know, get me change the course in any yeah. way, like hoping like, okay, man, we just hope like, let him do whatever he wants to do with all this stupid shit. Oh, and of course I show up and I got a garbage bag. That's my bag to go to treatment full of clothes and they're all uh-huh. dirty. So I'm like, uh-huh. Oh, I got to do laundry and shit before we go. So like, my sister does my laundry and, and I'm like, oh, I got to sleep. And then, of course, like, oh, I got to go hook up with somebody before we leave because I, I had to fucking get loaded before we left. And, I, you know, like just all kinds of shit. And then we finally get the road. And I remember like we actually got there so late that we had to end up going the next day. We had to get a hotel because we never got there on time. It was so late when we got there. Mm. So. I show up, we get there during the day and I show up, they check me in and and I can remember thinking like, fuck, you know, like I just got to get off of heroin, you know, like I got to get off of heroin. So I remember going there and, um, you know, like you make this decision to go, but then once you get there, you start, for me, I started second guessing myself, like, fuck man, like, why can't you just get it together? Like, why can't you just, like, just do it sometimes? Like, you start talking to yourself in your head, like, why did you have to go so overboard? Like, come on, man. Like, you got to be stronger than this. Like, you can just, like, you got to get your shit together. Like, you got to, like, you know, you, you do have to get off of these opiates. But, like, just, like, you know, like, just do everything in moderation. Like, come on, man. Like, it's like an addict trying to tell talk to yourself, you know? Mm. So I decided to do it. And of course, like, you know, it's not easy. In all, in all, how how long were you there? Well, the inpatient was supposed to be 30 days. And, uh, and what they, what I didn't know is like, they do it, like they put you in detox and like the detox can be anywhere from like a day or two or three to 10 days. 
And then it's like, so I had 10 days of detox because I had a lot of drugs in my body. Was that hard? Yeah. So, so when I found out though, and of course, like this is the first thing that started to piss me off, but I found out that I, uh, I was going to have to do like 10 days of detox and then, um, tr- the 30 days. So I'm already like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Like, this ain't what I agreed on. Like, this is supposed to be 30 days. Like, I got to go back to work. I'm already starting with this attitude. Like, I got to go back to work. Like, this is bullshit. Like, now y'all are telling me 40 days. And and then, and then you know, they're, they're like trying to talk sense into me. So I, I'm also like, I'm trying to be okay with it, but I'm kind of aggravated. And of course, like, you know, they give you a little something to try to help you get through like withdrawals and they, they give you stuff like sleep medicine to try to help you sleep because most addicts don't sleep. Like I don't remember sleeping seriously. Like I really do not remember sleeping much at all for the whole 40 days. Like, you know, just your body's like in shock. You know what I'm saying? Like you've been putting all these drugs in your body that like knock you down, knock you down, knock you down. And you're taking all this stuff away. Like you're you're like slowly but surely becoming alert. And it's like and then, you know, having withdrawals from opiates and, um, you know, um, you know, like can be a painful experience, you know, sleepless nights, tossing and turning like. They call it like you get these skin crawls, you get sick, um, throwing yeah, up. All, all that stuff happened to you during that 10 day detox? Yeah, yeah. So they did actually give me some medicine to help me to kind of help with the withdrawals. And it really did. But so I, I feel because I had done it. You know, it's funny. Remember when I like in 2005, when I went to River Oaks, I had done it cold turkey on my own from opiates, even though I was still doing a lot of other drugs. So I had gone through it. So I felt like this was a, like a milder version, even though it wasn't like great. I felt like I, I wasn't throwing up as much, but I still like couldn't sleep. Um, a lot of body aches, um, a lot of, uh, restlessness, um, a lot of just, uh, it feels like you want to like scrape your skin off your body because you, you have like these skin crawls. I, I, I guess it's just your, your, your body's like coming back to life, so to speak. And like you've been like putting all these drugs to mask everything and to any feeling that you wanted to have, you would just take a drug for that feeling. So like all your natural body feelings are coming back you know so did anybody during this time do they do they um do any kind of checkup with a doctor to like look at the health of your oh yeah they definitely uh definitely they um they um they definitely when they check you in you know they check your vitals often you do have to go to a doctor because you know like i said they're gonna they put you they put me on a little bit of medicine the first like the first like seven days to kind of help with withdrawal symptoms. And then they, um, you, you know, they kind of depending on where you are, they kind of like, you know, start you off and then 
immediately pretty much start weaning you down in this 10 day period. But like, you know, to give you like a certain dosage to kind of help with like how much drugs you had in your system to try to help like with like, you, you know, nauseous, nausea and, and um, sickness and, and just like getting through like the other withdrawal symptoms and they kind of start to wean you off immediately. And then also trying to give you medicine to help you sleep, you know, so that you can get rest. But like I said, there's just so much going on in your mind and in your body that you're not really, um, you know, you're not really, uh, um, feeling good at all. And, um, and then I can remember, um, Dude, were you there the whole, like your total stint there was 40 days. Yeah. And then actually I, I even decided to do an outpatient. Um, but at the end I, of your 40, at the end of your 40 days, were you like, you were, did you have a different mindset? Like, uh, were you changed? Did you, did you see things differently? Or were you uh, still kind of the same mindset? And- no, no, absolutely. I can remember like there's some key things when I was at treatment um, that um, I can remember um, thinking. Like I remember a lot of times like, you know, just they had this one room and it was like, you know, a whole wall was windows and it was like in the woods, you know, this building like literally we're in the woods. So it's like such a great scene. I could just remember like looking out of the window, like having these classes and I could just remember like I was very sad. And, you know, a lot of people at treatment, they're like having the time of their life. They're, they got little it's funny, like there's little clicks in treatment, like this little group of people are hanging out and this little group of people are hanging out. And, and I can remember them like they even, you know, had talked to me because they were like worried that I really wasn't wanting to with anybody that much i just remember like thinking and it was like younger kids and shit a lot not everybody but it was a lot of people in their 20s but it was it was all ages like all ages like people older than me you know and um and i can remember you know it was about 35 people roughly like people come and go people you know finish and new people come and it was roughly around 35 40 people and I can remember just like sitting there, like looking out of the window in these classes, just thinking like, man, like I really made a fucking mess of my life, man. Like, I don't know if I can fucking do this, you know, like, mm. you know, I, I, I don't know. Like I'm there and I'm doing everything that they're asking me. But immediately they start talking to me about outpatient, like. I should think about the outpatient. And I'm just like, what are y'all? I'm like, man, this was supposed to be 30 days. And then I get here and then, you know, they would tell me, they would talk, they would bring me in an office and, you know, one of the like administrators would like talk to you about, you know, like you should think about like, I know you just got here, but like, you should think about a plan, like an outpatient, like, so that like when you get out, like you, you have some freedom, you know, and, and but you're still like going to classes and and you'll be like living in like a little sober living house and and kind of doing things for yourself again. And, and I was just like, man, I don't want to fucking hear all of this shit. Like, I'm like, you know, 
Y'all told me this was 30 days. And I get here, and then you tell me it's 30 days after the detox. So now it's 40 days. And then now you're telling me, and I'm like, you know, I got to go back to work. And, and, and like the whole time, like immediately they're telling me like, Hey, you know, like if you have a problem with heroin, you, you, you do know you have a problem with everything. So first of all, I'm kind of like, you know, what the fuck are these people talking about? Like, I got a problem with like heroin. Like I'm getting off of heroin and like, I'm going home and like, I'm going to fucking drink and I'm going to fucking smoke weed and I'm going to do everything else. Like, like, I don't know what they're talking about. And they just keep, like, pounding it in your head, pounding it in your head. So I feel like the first two weeks I'm there, I remember thinking, like, I started kind of buying. And I, and I say it like this, and I don't, I, I mean it in a good way, but I feel like you kind of have to buy into the bullshit a little bit. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like they feed you all of this. And it's not bullshit, but I like to say it like that, you know? Yeah. So I feel like they're, they're pounding this in your head. So like over the first two weeks, like I'm real quiet. I'm really to myself. I'm in deep thought a lot. I'm just trying to figure out like if I can do this, like I'm 43 years old, like what the fuck? Like I made a real mess of myself. I got a lot of debt. I didn't fuck my job up. All my shit's in storage. I was evicted. I'm thinking about all these things like, Jesus, I, I was evicted. I'm like driving around in my truck. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like I left everything behind that I love. I'm like, and now these people are telling me this. And I'm just like, man, I, and I, I felt like so down. Like I didn't yeah. really feel good at all. Like, I mean, first of all, like physically, yeah. I, I feel like shit. You know, like physically, I feel like shit. Like, I feel like I don't even want to hold my head up. You know, like, I feel like I'm so exhausted from like my lifestyle. Like, seriously, like, I feel like I can barely like, you know, like I'm hunched over, like with my head down, like just not feeling good about life. And I'm not feeling good physically. And then they're telling me, like, if you got a problem with heroin, you got a problem with everything. And, and it's funny, like, it took me a while to think about this, but. I felt like, you know, all these things become like such a part of your life. It's like uh, you love them, you know, and I I felt like I felt kind of heartbroken, as funny as that may sound. But I felt like I broke up with heroin. I broke up with cocaine. I broke up with drinking. Like I broke up with all these things that were like love affairs. And I felt like really sad. Like I felt sad, like. I I wasn't, I didn't feel great. I didn't feel good. I didn't even feel good about what I was doing at this point. I just felt like, I I guess the more days that went by, the reality of everything kind of starts, you know, the more you get your head out of your ass, the more the reality sets in of what you've done. And you're like, wow, like, man, this is like, this is just hard. Like, and it's a humbling experience to like be 43 years old and in a fucking treatment facility and to feel like you've done all these amazing things in your life as an artist and, and all these things. And like, like here, you you know, like at one time, maybe you like, you know, I, 
you know, walked with my chest out and my head up and like, man, I'm like, you know, on top of the fucking world. And now I'm like looking out of a window of a treatment facility and I'm like, man, like looking around this room, like, look at me. (laughs) At at any point in your, in your treatment for that, you know, over that 40 day period, did you, did you think about God? Yes. I'm really glad you just said, I was, this is an, this is another important thing I think in my life. So I remember during this first two weeks, keeping to myself a lot and, you know, like AA and NA, they're both like, like AA is, AA talks about God a lot. Okay. And, and NA talks about higher power. So AA is like God, 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 God. And NA is like higher power, higher power, higher power. So NA is, NA is narcotics. Oh, it's narcotics anonymous. Okay. Gotcha. And like AA is alcoholics anonymous. So okay. like th- this, this is like a, like a, a, a 12 step program. And it, it's also like, um, uh, it, 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 they kind of used like AA slash NA. Like they kind of, like they used both. They went off of both. So, because there's a lot of similarities, you know, right. in the programs, but they do have separate programs. So they kind of base it on both. And I remember like, look, in the beginning, you're just aggravated with everything. You don't want nobody telling you what to fucking do. You think you know everything, but like, your best thinking ended you up in treatment, you know? So I'm there and I'm like, oh man, I'm like, you know, I'm maybe in the first like week, week and a half. I'm just like, you know, man, they keep, I feel like they, they were talking so much about God and higher power. And, and for some reason, like I said, in the, in the beginning, you just get everything aggravates you and you think, you know, more than anybody. And for some reason, this whole thing with God kept aggravating me. Like I kept thinking like, well, what if you don't believe in God? Like to, to myself, I'm thinking they keep pushing this shit on you. They keep pushing this shit on you. And it's like, you know, like, so what if you don't believe in God? Like you can't get clean. Like you can't get fucking clean. They keep wanting to push this. And it's funny because my whole life I've always believed in God. I was brought up Catholic, uh, our family, has a you know has a very strong uh uh catholic faith um with and for some reason I'm like I, I don't know I I just had this problem with god and I had left I hadn't really um gone to church and like many like like most people like I went to catholic school my whole life most people I like, went to catholic school their whole life my mom wanted me to go to church and like most people like at 18 years old, when your mom doesn't make you go to church anymore, like it's on your own to go to church. I pretty yeah. much just stopped going to church except for like midnight mass or Easter or mother's day or just like whatever holidays that would make my mom happy. But like, I pretty much just like, you know, it was too busy for any of that. And like, yes, I did believe in God. And yeah, every once in a while I thought about it. Yeah, when I was fucked up and I was on drugs, I was one of those people that like, I pray like, oh, please, God, like, you know, help me like not get 
pulled over, like, let me get out of this fucked up situation. Like, I was that kind of person. Like, I prayed, like, when I needed something, you know? And mm. I found myself, like, getting aggravated with this. And I remember being outside one day, and this guy, Benny, he was, like, one of the counselors there. And, um, um, like, the clinical assistants, they called them, like, the CAs. And, and he's one of the, like, the, the one of my teachers, you know? And um, he comes outside, and he wants to talk to me. He's like, um, you know, he's like, uh, he's like, I'm just checking on you, man. He's like, I noticed like you've been you spending a lot of time alone. and You're not really like, you know, you're not really with too many people. You're kind of doing your own thing. I said, yeah, you know, man, I was like, I don't know. Uh, I was like, I'm just trying to figure this whole thing out. And I don't know. I said, I just, you know, got a problem with everything right now i'm just trying to figure some shit out and I, I feel like it's just best for me to try to figure this out so i can do it and you know i i, I said i think i'm finally accepting the fact that like i do have a problem with everything it's been really hard accepting the fact that i showed up thinking that i had a problem with heroin and and, and i i do understand like i have a problem with everything and like when I go home, I can't do anything. Like I really do need to quit, quit it all. And I'm just having a hard time. And he's like, well, you know, you should like pray to God. You should pray to your higher power. And I remember thinking, you know, man, like that's another thing. I'm like, I'm getting sick of all this shit. I was like, you know, I'll keep putting this shit on us. And I'm like, so what if I don't believe in God? Like, I can't get clean and I can't do this fucking program. Like, if I don't believe in God. And he's like, hey, man, he's like, you don't really have to be like that. He's like, you know, you got a problem with God? Fine. Don't worry about it. He's like, you know what? He's like, why don't you just think about a higher power? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, you know. Why don't you just think of, you know, he said, that's one of the things about a higher power. You don't have to think about God. You don't have to think about any religion specifically. He's like, why don't you just like, he goes, I noticed like you like coming out here and sitting by the lake a lot. And he's like, and you've already expressed a few times that you like being in the woods and that you feel good being outside and that you like being in nature and he's like so you know your higher power can be anything he's like but sometimes having a higher power he said a higher power can help you it can help you get through things like like believing that something is bigger than you and he said it could be like the group, your group of peers at this treatment facility, it could be God, it could be nature, it could be anything you want it to be. And he's like, but sometimes if you just decide to just put it in a higher power's hands, that it can help you. Like, just 
like knowing that there's something bigger than yourself that can help you to get through this, that maybe that's all you need. So you could just make, you love the outdoors. He's like, look around. It's beautiful. I know you love it because you've talked about it. He's like, you can make just all this your higher power. But just think about that. And he said, and maybe, you know, you can say a prayer to your higher power, whatever it is or not. Don't do it at all. And I don't know what it was, but like this little conversation that I had with this guy, like really was like, I don't know. I don't think it was like this. Well, you know, sometimes people have like these like spiritual awakenings of different sorts. Some people it's really powerful. Like I hear a lot of addicts, like they have like this experience that like they saw the light or something happened. Like, and I'm not like discrediting anything that I've heard from other addicts, but like, I so I didn't really have like this, like I saw the light kind of moment, but it was without a doubt, like a spiritual awakening for the first time while I was at treatment, like within the first two weeks, week and a half, two weeks into this, you know, I, I still got, you know, the, you know, the majority of my 30, I still got 30 days to go, 25, 30 days to go. It hit me like, wow, you know, like I really wasn't looking at it right. And first of all, like, what do I have a problem with God for? Like, like he's always been there if I needed him. Like, I don't know. I felt like, you know, it just, for some reason, he just simplified the fuck out of it for me. And I just, like, it made sense. Like, it just clicked. And I said, you know, like, it is beautiful out here. But I don't need to make higher, like, outdoors my higher power. Like, I can feel good and feel charged from being outside. But, but like, my higher power is God. Like, and I should start to pray. And and at this time, because I was struggling, man, I, I didn't know if I wanted to stay. I was still like, fuck it. I want to just I don't know what the fuck I want to do. But I, I said, you know what? That night. I said, I'm going to start praying. And I started thinking about it. Like I started overcomplicating praying. Like I felt like it had to be like all of this shit. And I finally, I, I I talked to somebody about that too. And, and they said, man, like you're overcomplicating it. Like, just like, you don't have to say anything. Like you can say the serenity prayer or just like say like, Hey, hello, God, like help me. Like, like you don't have to overcome. Like it, there's no like set way to pray. Yeah. So, so I finally just like every night. And every every night I go to bed and I'll just be like, you know, I I couldn't really get my thoughts together. I was still all over the place, you know, and I would just pray every night and just think like, you know, God, just I don't know. I don't know if I can do this. I just I want to believe in you and I'm just going to like put, you know, I'm just I'm going to believe in God. I'm going to believe in God again. 
Not that I I, I didn't, but I'm going to like believe in you and I'm going to like have faith in you. And I'm going to like pray to you to just help me stay clean. Like, please just help me do this. And it was very basic. Like, you know, like, God, thank you for like helping me get through another day clean and like maybe saying our father and like that was a wrap. And then every morning, you know, it was like, you know, good morning, God, like, please just help me get through today. Like, I don't know. I like I need your help. And I think like asking for help, praying to God. It was like the coolest thing I had experienced because. And I can remember this and I felt like very connected during this time, like it didn't happen overnight, but it took a little time. But I can remember like while I was in treatment, doing like a little simple prayer at night and a little simple prayer in the morning, this like really cool thing started to happen. So I had faith, like I really had faith. Like I believed in God and I've had faith that God could help me. Like if I just prayed that he could help me get through this and like believing in God and having faith in God, the coolest thing started happening. I actually started to have hope for the first time, like while I was at treatment. I started to actually feel hopeful that like I could do this, like I can do this. Wow. So then the cool thing about it is I didn't even realize it until later, but like believing in God and having faith in God gave me hope for the future and gave me hope that I could do this. And then the really coolest thing started happening. I started to actually like believe in myself and I started to have faith in myself at the same time. And then like this hope that I had again for the first time in many years, this hope started to become reality and like, Every day, like, I started to see the light at the end of the tunnel, like, wow, like, I'm a month clean. Like, I can do this. Like, you you started believing in yourself. Yeah, but it was, it was like believing in, like, truly saying, I believe in God, just saying, I believe in God, and I'm going to have faith in God, and I'm going to have faith that you can help me get through this. And I'm going to pray every night. And I'm going to pray every morning. And believe me, it wasn't like, oh, I was praying for 20 or 30 minutes. Like most of the time, I could barely get my thoughts together. You know what I'm saying? I would like to say the serenity prayer because that's like a like a prayer that they really kind of get you started on when you go to meetings. And, you know, that, that's a prayer that like uh, addicts use a lot. And it's a great prayer to get started. It's simple. And and then I was like, you know, let me say an our father. Let me just thank him for another day clean. And then next thing you know, it was like another day and then another day. And then I'm like a month clean. And the next thing you know, I'm like getting close to like finishing up my 40 days. And then I remember like starting to think like, 
man, like everything is, you start having like these awakenings, like just walking in the woods, like you start to appreciate the trees and the grass and you start appreciating like everything around you. Like, like you appreciate the food that you're eating. You appreciate like everything. Like all of a sudden it's like, you're, you're like coming back to life and you're like, holy shit, like look how beautiful this tree is. And like, holy shit, like look how cool this is. And like, I remember like they, they had like one of the classes that we took was like, they had uh, this guy that had horses and they like, they would let us ride horses. And it was like a big deal. I remember like, like they don't start you off on that immediately, but I remember like my second week, like we had, they were going to take his horse ride. And I remember thinking like my body was, I felt like shit. Like I felt so bad physically. And like, I remember thinking like, what the fuck is this place thinking? Like they want to get me on a horse. I'm like, the la- I'm like, I can't even hold myself up on a horse. Like I felt so weak. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And like, I remember like the guy would feed off of the people. So I remember in the beginning, I was like, remember thinking like, hey, man, I don't want to ride a horse. And he's like, look, man, this ain't really about riding horses. Like we're going to build like he had a little fire in a barrel. And we, it was like basically like an outside class where we would talk. But like he would have us like uh, brushing the horses and like taking care of the horses. And he was like, look, you know, I don't necessarily put people on the horses immediately. Sometimes we're going to take care of the horses. Cause like you gotta learn how to take care of this horse before you ride it. Just like you need to start taking care of yourself again. Like you're not you're not gonna ride this horse until like you learn a little bit about this horse. Mm. So I remember like thinking like when I was felt strong enough and after we had been like you know he taught us how to put the the uh, the, uh, the saddle on the horse and showed us how to buckle it up and showed us how to, you know, brush the horse and just take care of the horse, clean it. And I was like, wow, man, this is fun. Like, I remember just being out there, like when I finally got a chance to ride a horse, I was like, this is the fucking coolest thing I've ever done in my life. You know, I was like, everything was just like, I felt like I was truly coming back to life. But at the same time, I was getting close to getting out and it started hitting me like, wow, you know, like, I start thinking, you know, like I do need to just totally like I, when I decided to go to treatment, I decided to be there. I really felt like I'm just going to I'm going to um, I'm just going to like truly like do what they tell me to do. Like everything that I did, like landed me in treatment, you know, mm-hmm. so I'm just going to like when I finally like in. After starting to pray, I, I said, I'm just going to do what they ask me to like, whatever they tell me to do, I'm just going to do it. Fuck it. Even if I don't understand it, if I don't agree with it, I'm just going to do it. So I'm about to get out and I start thinking, wow, you know, maybe they're right. Like, maybe I'm not ready to go home just yet. And like, what's the difference? Like, I don't need to go back to work right away. Like, maybe like, maybe I should do this outpatient thing. Like maybe, you know, like, you know, like I should do what they talk about. So 
I decided to sign up for the outpatient, which is, you know, like when you're in treatment, it's not that hard to get off of drugs because you're in a controlled environment. Like, you know, like, like I was telling you earlier, like it would be a really long walk to get to a city. And then just cause you get to the city doesn't mean you can get drugs, yeah. you know, plus I didn't have any money. So the, the so, outpatient for this particular facility, did that mean you'd have to live nearby? Yes, the outpatient was actually in Oxford, Mississippi, which is uh, like, you know, Ole Miss, the college is right there. It's like a real big college town. So Ole Miss is beautiful. It's like a little small town. And and, and they would bring us to meetings in Oxford. And I remember thinking, like, this might be kind of cool. Like, a, like, before I go home, like, I'll be staying in an apartment with, like, three other sober, you know, clean people. Um, uh, they, they had like a little thing that they would set up where, um, you can get, um, uh, they had a little, a little deal set up with this, uh, local, um, uh, like shelter, like, so you could get, uh, food, like food stamps and like food. Like it was a, it was a thing they had set up with the treatment facility. Cause you know, most people didn't really have money. So like, you, you can actually go and get food and keep it in your fridge and start to eat in case you didn't really have any money. Like you could at least, and then they still fed you with the outpatient, which was a nice thing that they would take you back to the inpatient once a week for like a good meal. And then, um, you know, and, uh, you, and you still were going to, you could still go to meetings every day. Like they would pick you up from the place if you, like you didn't have to, it was on you if you wanted to or not, but I didn't have anything else to do. So, so I decided long, to do it. And yeah, I thought it was, how long was outpatient? Uh, it was actually, it was supposed to be two months, but I will say this. I did about a month. Um, and not that I didn't want to do two months, but, um, I, I did feel like, look, my insurance through my job was paying for all of this. And, and, um, you have to make a certain amount of hours every year to have insurance. And, um, our year starts in October first. And I went to treatment the first week of October. So like basically October, November, um, like here we all like coming up in December, like I got three months and I made like no hours and you got to work about eight months. 40 hours a week to like, to make your hours to get insurance. So I kind of started thinking like, wow, you know, like this, 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 this treatment facility is very expensive. This outpatient is very expensive and I'm here because my insurance is paying for it. And I started thinking like, you know, I, I would, I don't want to go back to work and work a lot. I really don't. I want to kind of work like 40 hours, like maximum. I want to focus on my recovery I don't want to work like I used to, like 60, 70, 80 hours a week, you know, crazy hours. I'm like, so I might have to work more. And I started thinking, like, you know, maybe I should, you know, kind of, you know, uh, I, I've been gone for three months. I'm like, I think it would be a nice time to get back to work, like, after the holidays, like, start January off. So I kind of cut the outpatient a little bit shorter than I was supposed to, but I just kind of felt like it was a good time and, and they were okay with, you know, 
they understood where I was coming from because I was like, hey, look, you know, I have zero hours. And I said, so I'm starting back three months late and I'm going to need like eight months. If I'm going to work 40 hours a week, I'm going to need the next eight or nine months to like make my hours for insurance. So anyway, I started thinking like a like a human being again about a lot of things like. So did, were you at all were you at all nervous about getting back to New Orleans and, and jumping back into an environment and definitely sliding, definitely. sliding back. I was, into I was it. I, absolutely, man. I was definitely, um, I was nervous. You know, I was glad that I did the outpatient because it was exactly what they said. Look in the inpatient, it's easy to be like in a controlled environment, but this outpatient here I am. Um, like you're living with three other people that are clean and they do have somebody like, like, a, um, like one of the uh, people that work for the um, treatment center that live in that apartment complex to kind of keep an eye on you a little bit. And you did have a curfew that you had to keep, but you were on your own. Like you did have to go to classes. Um, you had classes like four days a week. So you had three days off, you know, you only went to classes four days and they, they did have a pickup every night to go to a meeting, but you did have three days off to do what you wanted. So I felt like that was a good, and you know what I would do, I would actually, you know, I didn't really have any money. And instead of taking the bus, I would just walk to town. I was just, man, I, I was just loving like being outside, walking like the fresh air, like Oxford was a beautiful place. I was just stimulated by everything. Like, like it was cool. Like I felt like, okay, this is kind of cool. I go to a meeting every day. They pick me up to go to a meeting. I'm, I'm hanging out with more people that are in recovery. I'm, I, I, I was, I had really accepted what I was doing and I bought into the bullshit. Like I, like I was saying before, it's not bullshit, but I like and you to say that. Hope. Yes. Yes. And I was a little bit worried about coming home only because I did accept the fact that I did like I had quit everything and that I was going to have to not drink or smoke weed or do anything ever again. And, And that was that was a really hard thing for me to stomach, you know, like really hard, like to accept this and I felt like you know um I look I was when I when I came home I was gonna live with my mom because all of my stuff you remember I had been evicted so all of my stuff was in storage so I was like okay I'm gonna live at home with my mom I'm gonna work like 40 hours a week which is nothing I was working 80 hours a week you know yeah I'm like, I'm going to work 40 hours a week. I'm going to go to a meeting every single night and I'm going to be living in a safe place and I'm just going to take it really slow. And I had a really cool opportunity when I came back to work. I I started doing a different job that I was doing. Um, I started working um, in an office. It was like a, they have a, 
a job uh, on the river, like where I was checking in the trucks. Um, it was like, and I had done that before. Like I used to bounce around and do a lot of different jobs. And I had done that many years ago. And I kind of had asked if like there was a spot in the office because I thought maybe like instead of being outside with the riffraff, like it might be kind of cool to just be like in a normal environment, like with some normal people in the office and like do 40 hours a week. So I was starting to make decisions that were like better for my new lifestyle. Mm -hmm. I was like, let me, you know, I was like, I'm going to be. And look, let me tell you something. Living with my mom. It was a beautiful experience, you know, like I didn't I, I didn't not like that at all. Like like that was a really great experience. Look, my mom at the time, she was like she cooked every night. So I had like a really good home cooked meal every night. I had a nice, safe place to sleep. My mom totally supported me. Um, I felt like. All these years that I had detached myself from my family. I had like reconnected with my mom. I mean, I, it sucked. I was sorry that like my dad didn't get to see me uh, clean. And I know everybody says like, Oh, he's looking down on you, you know, you know, and, and he can see and, and that, you know, you like to think that, but I'm talking about like, I would love for him, like in reality, like, you know, for him to have seen me, doing this but i was uh i was in a good place with my mom uh very nice place being loving and uh and you know i will say this i i don't, I don't want to leave this out and you know this because we're family but, um, mm. our family is amazing like you know um I like to think that the love and the support, unconditional love from like my entire family uh, helped me, you know, I can remember. Um, and I know I told you this one time we talked mm-hmm. that, um, you know, your mom called me a couple of times when I was at treatment, when I was in the outpatient, because I, I couldn't really talk when I was in the inpatient, like. You can, uh, they take your phone, which is fine. I didn't, I believe me, I didn't need it. The only people I talked to was my, was a drug, drug addict. So I was like relieved and I wasn't like on social media. I wasn't on any, like I didn't literally, I just used my phone as a phone, like until after I got clean. So, um, I remember, uh, I couldn't, you know, we, we would get like, there was like an hour where like you had to take turns, like using the phone. So a lot of times you could use the phone for like five minutes and I would just call my sister a lot or like my mom and just kind of like, Hey, oh, I'm doing good. And like, I love y'all. Thanks for helping me out. And, you know, like supporting me. And, 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 but when I was in the outpatient, I got my phone back and, and I could, uh, you know, talk to people if I wanted to. And I didn't really reach out to anybody, but like, I do remember like, you know, people just calling me, man. Like your mom called me and was just like, Hey, you know, uh, Errol, I just want to tell you, this is Aunt Mary. And I love you. I just want to tell you, I love you. And, and like, you know, normally most people would just be like, okay, whatever, big deal. But at that time when I was in outpatient, like, you have no idea, like, I mean, that just, like, literally just, like, you know, I felt like it just went, like, 
like her voice like went straight into my heart and like gave me like this warm and fuzzy feeling, you know, mm. like having like these people, you know, not just my brothers and sisters, but like, here's an aunt, you know, that, 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 that's because like my mom and her family is just so loving that, you know, I had, you know, some of my mom's family just would call me and just be like, Hey, you know, we just want to say, I'm thinking about you. And I love you and keep up the, keep up the good work. Proud of you. And I feel at like that, at that point, what did that, how did that feel to you? You said it went straight to your heart, but what exactly uh, did that do for you? Well, um, it just felt good having so many people in your corner. You know, I'm not saying you, you know, there's some, there's a lot of people that were in treatment that had, that everybody had like given up on, you know, sometimes with addicts, I mean, you burn all your bridges, you know, and at some point people just give up on you. So for a lot of people, like their family and friends and just giving up on, they got tired, Mm. you know, and you got to like, like work to get that back. But I feel like, you know, everybody was still there. Like, you know, hey, is there anything I can do for you? You know, and like, is there anything I can do? And, you know, and I remember like, you know, I I remember your mom like sent me some money and like, dude, that was a big deal. Like I didn't have (laughs) I showed up at treatment and I had like zero. I had zero dollars to my name. And I had like, you know, I, I had like almost you know, like thirty-five to $40,000 worth of debt waiting for me, you know, like just loans with the credit union, uh, IRS, uh, a few different people, like people that I owed money to, you know, and just, and like, I had no money. And like, you know, like when you get to that point, it's like, you know, man, when, you know, somebody like sends you some money in that situation, it's like, wow, you know, like, I can buy some more food. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I'm like, this is really cool. And then it's like, you know, you, you, you're like, you know, thinking about food again, you know, and I can remember like, I always had like scruff on my face, like, or like a goatee or I just wouldn't shave. And I remember for many years, I never shaved anymore with a razor, like ever. Like I would just take a trimmer and like, you know, like trim my face down with like clippers and like, you know, just because I would start getting like kind of rough looking. Yeah. Just like cut it down with trimmers, but like I would never actually shave. And I can remember being in treatment and like, you know, it felt so good to take a hot shower. And like, I remember like shaving my face with a razor and dude, I couldn't tell you the last time I shaved my face with a razor. Like it had been like many years before I really shaved. And I can remember like shaving and like looking in the mirror and just being like, 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 like feeling good. Like, you know, like, wow, you know, like I'm clean. Like, you know, (laughs) I got clean clothes on. Like, you know, like it all starts to, you know, like you start feeling good about yourself again. And like you look in the mirror. And you're like, wow, you know, like you look good and like start caring about your personal hygiene. And then, 
you know, somebody's calling you and just saying like, Hey, I just want to tell you, I love you, you know? And, and like, you know, like I said, you, like you really just, I was appreciating the little things in life and it's so easy to just forget about, hey, look today I got, you know, I, I want to simplify my life again. I'm trying, I struggle. Like I just want to simplify shit, but it was so cool at that time. Like, I just, I, you know, like, I appreciated that money. Like, you know, Christmas, people give gifts and people are giving all kinds of shit, crap that you don't need. It's like, I remember, like, really appreciating that money so that I could go buy, like, some more food to go with the food that I was getting from the food bank. Now, Errol, um, as you describe it, um, I just kind of want to key you on the highlights, man, of, of, your recovery you, you're now been clean for how many years uh 10 years 10 I made, years i made 10 years clean um i made 10 years clean in october wow october the 8th this past october yeah and um, and you know i i've, I've kind of, you've you've given me some indication but over the course of the past 10 years of being clean you have like completely flipped the script you're you're you've gotten really big into nutrition and health um working out exercise like you've you've completely flipped your life around now it it wasn't just getting clean then you've you've just been on this journey this health kick journey and um and i was hoping you'd just describe a little bit of that yeah absolutely man and you know i hope i didn't get too far like too far off with some of the, you know, you hear people like in recovery, I've heard a lot of stories and some stories I've heard from people. It's like, it's literally like a timeline of like their drug addiction and every single drug that they did. And then, and, and, and then I hear some people and it's like their whole story is not so much about what they did, but it's all about the recovery. And I've always been like, I guess I'm glad that we did talk about everything just because I, I was I'm hoping I didn't get too far into like a timeline of my drug history. And just to show you like how like it progresses from one thing to like another thing to like this horrible thing and that like every aspect of your life changes in that process. But I've heard a lot of stories where they just go, okay, you know what? We all know the story, like, for addicts talking to other addicts. Like, for you and other people, they don't know that story. So it is important to touch on, like, some of the things so people can hear, like, how just bizarre and, like, insane addiction can take you, can take you to this really... (laughs) like fucked up dark place. I think, I think everything you shared today is important, man. And I, that's, I think that's what's so special about this because every, everything you described that you were down in going into, um, when I think about the number of people that get into heroin and just from statistics, uh, over 95 to, I would imagine over 95% of the people that were, we're taking the amount and quantities of drugs that you were taking 
uh, they don't live very long. And, no. it, and it much less come back and are able to live a life like a full life. And yes. uh, and what you've done over the past 10 years is exactly that. Like you, you, you've uh, you started with what you described in that 30 day and the outpatient. But I mean, what you've done over the past 10 years is incredible. Yeah. Um, and I mean, a- absolutely. It's like. So. You know, it's it is important to kind of like I wanted to, you know, for somebody who had everything going for them. I am glad we kind of took that journey so you could see, like, here's a guy who had everything going for him at the top of his life, you know, like peeking out, like just at the top of the top, high of yeah. high. And then, mm-hmm. boom, like going to like this, this dark, dark place and and then. In recovery, and look, you know, you were saying that about the statistics and all. I remember being a, uh, I remember being in a class one day, and this one guy. It was so funny. One of the people was from Kenner, Louisiana. This guy, this guy Barry, and he was the craziest, like, clinical assistant, and he was always yelling. You know, like that's how he got his point across. He would yell, and he was always like, you know, he's like, look, there's 38 people in here. And he's like, and I'm going to let y'all know, you know what the statistics are? Like one, maybe two of y'all are going to make it. Maybe two. So you better fucking take this seriously. If you really want to do this, you better take this serious. And I was, he was always like just breaking it off and throwing it out there and like yelling and hollering. And I like this guy a lot because it kind of, it hit me, you know, and, and and I remember like I remember, always remember thinking that like and that's why I was like man I don't care about being in this clique or any of this shit like I don't care what they tell me I'm just gonna fucking do what they tell me because I do want to get clean at a certain point so you know here I am I just made ten years clean and you know um it's been you know here it was. You know, I think one of the things that I love so much is like here I am in drug addiction at one time and like I didn't want to do anything anymore. Like I didn't care about anything. and I didn't want to do anything. And I had like no goals or no nothing. And now here I am. And it's like I'm always like, Jesus, I wish I had more time. Like I don't have enough time to do all the things that I want to do. Like, you know, and it's and, and what's cool is I got everything back. It's like all the things that I left behind over the last 10 years, it's like I started to walk. You're talking about like my health and fitness and nutrition. Like it's definitely been a process, you know, it didn't happen overnight, but you know, everything is a process. And I felt like in the beginning, like my, my, uh, my recovery was like, my number one priority and it's, and it still is, don't get me wrong, but it was like my number one priority. And then I kind of started, you know, to walk, just taking walks outside. And then my mom has a pool when I was living at my mom, I was swim. And, you know, of course, living in new Orleans, I like rediscovered my love of food. So I've had this thing where, you know, man, like, I sometimes like get a little out of control with eating, but like, my love of food again, and like 
And it, but but over these 10 years, like, you know, um, I've had some health issues because of um, addiction that I've dealt with and overcome. But in this process, you know, I've rediscovered my love of biking. I've rediscovered my love of canoeing. I've rediscovered my love of kayaking. Um, I'm a brother again. I'm a son again. I'm a cousin. I'm like, I'm, I'm like a family member of this big, beautiful family. Um, I, um, I, I've been able to buy a house. I'm a homeowner. Um, I, I've been able to, um, you know, um, I'm, and actually really just more recently in the last couple of months, I've really stepped it up a notch, but I'm, I've, I've over the 10 years, I've slowly, but surely learned about nutrition and like have made like fitness, like more a part of my life. Like I would say in the last five years, um, fitness has, you know, become like, like a priority over the last like three to five years is when I started biking like a lot. And then, you know, Oh, you know, and, and, and now I'm, um, I'm, I'm even like my, uh, now I'm, you know, and I, and I thought maybe I would have done this sooner, but I feel like now I like, Hey man, you know what? Like, I think it's all kind of happened around 10 years clean, but it's like, Hey, you know, you've done really well. You know, and I've also reincorporated some art in my life, not as much as I would like to, but I always feel like it will happen again. But I have been able to, like, do some drawing and I love to sketch when I do. But I think the outdoors have been probably more important to me at this time. And and I've expressed myself creatively in different ways. Like, I like to beat myself up. It's funny, like. Now I, I got all these things back in my life and I want to be hard on myself all the time, which is not always a bad thing. It's yeah. not always a bad thing, but like, you know, sometimes I'm like, Hey man, you know what? Like just, you know, if the best thing you did today is another day clean, like you're doing great, you know, but, but I want more for myself, but I've, I've like I, over 10 years, I've, I've taken better care of myself, you know, especially to, to the most recent, like last few months, like I've really, I feel like taking it to a new level and I've, I've expressed myself creatively, creatively, like with plants and gardening and, uh, taking photographs. I, I love, like, I'll take photographs when I'm biking, you know, and, um, sunsets and just beautiful scenery. And like, so like, even though I'm not drawing and painting again, I've definitely expressed myself creatively in other ways. So I do feel like I've just come back to life in many areas, all areas of my life and have even improved in, in a lot of areas of my life, which which are pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I think about your your years addiction i mean if you count your you know high school like late high school years dude you had you had close to 30 years of uh you know 25 to or at least over 25 years of of um 
being into some substance abuse and you know that like it was all the way until you were 43 44 years old um i mean pretty much your your the majority of your adult life so it's almost like you've rediscovered everything about life and opportunities and what you can do with your life over the past 10 years and it's like every time i talk to you you're just continuing to get better and you're continuing to learn more about yourself and and one of the things I'm most curious about is you talked about God and, and the fact that during that outpatient during the inpatient piece, you um, you rediscovered hope. What is it over the past 10 years? If 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 you were to kind of identify one or two things that have kept you excited and hopeful about the future, what would it what would you say it is? Honestly, I think uh, I, I really do think like the uh, nature. I think that nature. I think that like anytime I um I don't care like anytime that I'm not feeling good because I have bad days. You know, it's funny like all of my work days are good days, but sometimes when I'm off, I struggle, and if I just get outside. I change my whole attitude. So I do think mm-hmm. that nature, and you know, it's funny. I want, I want to touch on this real quick because I'm sitting in my house and there's sun. Like I don't have one light on in my whole house. And I think this is important because it makes me smile when I think about this, but I'm sitting in my house and I have so many windows in my house that I don't have one light on yet. I don't put a light on until it starts to get dark. But I have that much light. My front door is like mostly glass. Like um, I have so many windows in this house and I I just have like a little bit of like a little fabric hanging over. That's like totally see through. And I have like so it's funny. There was a time when I was on drugs and I had like room darkening shades, blinds, curtains. And now. I don't have anything on my windows and, 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 and the, and the, the windows that I do have curtains on when I'm here during the day, they're open because I want all the light to come in. I feel, you know, it's, I just feel like it's just like whole thing from dark to light, you know, it's like, I I just, I think about that often at like how, you, you know, and, and, how important that is like just just the natural light coming into this house and mm-hmm. if i'm ever like not feeling good i just need to go outside like there's some days that i struggle like i'll be off on a saturday and it's you know I'll, I'll like have struggles man like um sometimes i want to get so many things done and i don't do anything like i, I like like i'm like it's almost like i'm crippling myself or something and and i'll just go take a bike ride and like my whole day completely changes my whole attitude just changes so i think that reconnecting with nature is probably one of the most important things in my life wow well i tell you that resonates hard man we talk about that in thumos um where we 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 do these thumos weekend experiences and we we uh a lot of times we talk about finding God in nature 
and the way you describe it and the way that it fulfills you, man, it just that it, it really hits hard in in the way we've talked about it on weekend experiences. Yeah, I mean, sometimes, man, like I go take a bike ride. It's like like an adventure. I call it that. Like I feel like, you know, I feel like I have these biking adventures. You know, I'll go ride my bike and then I'll get off my bike and walk the coastline like on foot, like with my bike. I kind of like to walk the coastline and man, I find stuff like like I feel so good out there, like in the sun, like I, I find like whatever, man, like. As, as simple as it may sound or to somebody who doesn't appreciate it, maybe they don't get it, but like, I'll find like a cool rock. I found like, you know, um, a bird skull or turtle skull or, you know, just something unique that I wanted to take a photo of, uh, the sound of the water on the, on the, uh, on the seawall, on the mm-hmm. coastline. Just being outside is just like such an overwhelming, like good feeling. And I just do think that like um, I have to remind, believe me, though, I do have to remind myself because sometimes I will get kind of trapped in my head and I'll just be like, dude, just go outside. Like, it's pretty fucking simple. Just go outside. (laughs) Whenever I go outside. And then, you know, I'm also I'm really. um like I said, uh, over the last 10 years, I've, I've learned, uh, I feel like I've incorporated uh, better uh, food in my body. But I feel like very recently in the last couple of months, when I was about to make 10 years clean, I was reflecting on some of the things that I have done, and maybe some of the things that I haven't done that I've wanted to do. And that it was, I think that's 10 year mark was like a reminder that like, Hey man, maybe you need to sit down and like, you know, write down a few things about like, you know, what, what, uh, haven't you done that you want to do? And I feel like, you know, just because you're clean doesn't mean like everybody who's clean, like puts good stuff in their body. You know, you can still drink Cokes and eat shit food and like be addicted to food and, and I, and, I, and I feel like I have made a lot of healthy changes over 10 years, especially more so over the last five or six with my food, like just little changes that I've been able to stick to. But I, I feel like this 10 year mark made me like want to like maybe make a more drastic change and just be like, hey, man, like I want to start like really putting like. I want to put really good food in my body. Like I want, I want like really good food and like the right food to be a priority. Like I want, you know, like I want to, I want to like take best care of this body. Like I got a second chance, you know, and like it's time to like take it to the next level. And I just, I want to, I just want to think about everything I put in my, my, my body because um, I've done really well. But, you know, a 10 year mark made me realize, like, things I need to, like, improve on. And it's cool because everything is a process, man. You know, they always say it's not a sprint. It's a marathon. And I had to think about that in my recovery. It's good to think about that in everything, man. 
um, that, um, you know, and you can like, hey, man, you know what I'm really proud of? At 43 years old, I made a change. And sometimes, yeah. you know, it's like people don't make a change when you get older. But I think being clean and staying clean at an older age, it doesn't matter what age it is, but I feel like that helps me because then when I decide I'm going to do like, like I said, in mid-September this year, I was like, I want to start eating really clean. And I want to start paying attention to what really goes into my body. And I want to make sure that I'm getting enough of this and I want to get enough of this. And it, you know, it's, it's cool that, um, I, I always believe that I can do it when I, once I set my mind to it, you know, sometimes, you know, people will be like, Oh, he's not going to stick to that. You know, people I work with, like, I'm like, I'm not buying lunch anymore. Like, I'm going to bring my food. And they're like, yeah, whatever. Like, he'll be back when it's two weeks getting, like, shit food from a restaurant or whatever. And it's like, no, man. I, like, like, I think being clean and, and making that change in my life has helped me to believe in myself that, like, like I want to do that. Like, yeah, I can, I can do it. Absolutely. Like, I'm just going to eat clean. Like, is it easy? No, but can I do it? Absolutely. Like I'm going to do it. And like, I, and I'm pretty good. And I think that anything that I've decided to do since clean, I just think of that. Like, cause you know, immediately sometimes and I think when you get older, it's easy to just be like, Oh man, I don't know if I can do that. Or, or really you just cop out or make excuses, but I'll be like, you know what? I can do this, man. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I can do yeah. it. Definitely. Well, it, you know, there's probably a very small percentage of the population that has been through what you've been through and recovered and re is recovering like you're recovering. I mean, it, it's got to be very few and far between. So uh, <laughs> when you say you're going to do something, I totally believe it because uh, that, I mean, you've already kind of uh, weaned yourself off of something that was incredibly uh, difficult to do and and here you are and i, I errol I, but you know before we wrap it up man i, I want to get your take um on you know i'm hoping you know these stories like you know we do these podcasts man i'm hoping that the the parallels in these stories kind of encourage listeners uh to realize their potential and you've you've said quite a bit today on on the show here is there anything that you could have whispered to yourself or could have could have said to yourself or or said or heard when you were in the depths of it that would have helped you in any way um, to try to get to this point of of wanting to be clean? You know, for the listeners out there that may have may have a friend or a relative or someone that is in the depths maybe not even as far as you were, but, uh, you know, some kind of addiction. Is there anything that really resonates with you that like you wish somebody would have said to you during that time? You know what? I wish I had, <laughs> I wish there was something, but honestly, I think for each and every person, like each and every person's rock bottom is totally different. And I mm -hmm. guess like, you know, one person's rock bottom is 
a lot higher up than other people's rock bottom. You know, some people don't have to go as low and down as my rock bottom to realize they want to do something different. And I don't know, a lot of people call me or they have more so it's, you know, in the beginning, because when you know somebody who got clean and who's staying clean for a while, anybody who has a family member, a friend that is struggling with addiction, they, you know, they want to like, they don't know what to do. And it's understandable. So they call you, they call me and they like, Hey man, can you call uh, my son and talk to him? And like, you know, and, and I always say, yeah, sure. You know, but in my mind, I'm like, you know, I don't tell the people that this, but I always think like, you know, I will talk to him, but maybe something makes a little dent in his brain that I say, but there's a probably he's probably going to have to just figure out on his own or he's going to have to like hit his own rock bottom and for different people, that's different things. And, you know, I wish it was something, but I do know they always say like, I know some people that are addicts still in recovery. And I do feel like I try not to like, I don't push this on them at all. You know, in the program, they always say, um, 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 it, like, um, what is it? Oh, okay. uh, it's, um, promotion, uh, rather than, um, I can't even now, now I'm like, I'm drawing a mental blank, but it's, um, it's basically like, um, attraction. I'm sorry. Attraction rather than promotion. Um, so instead of promoting it, like you hope that by spending time with that person and maybe telling them like about the amazing things that are happening in your life because you're clean might attract them to this way of life. So mm. it might not necessarily be like one thing like, Hey man, I wish somebody would have told me this because I wasn't listening until you like, you know what I'm saying? Like most of the time when you're talking to an addict, it's really like talking to a wall. So Anytime somebody tried to tell me anything, I just stopped talking to them. I usually just never, I never answered the phone and I never wanted to see them again because uh. I just, I didn't want to hear that. So until like, you know, I got to that point where like, I didn't want to live and I wanted to kill myself. Something clicked. And my rock bottom was I had been evicted. I was like living out of my vehicle. I was like, you know, like, you know, but not everybody has to get to that point, you know, yeah. for some people, they got to take it further. Maybe for some people, they got to lose their job and literally live on the streets and steal and beg for money. And, and like, you know what I mean? Like, you know, for some yeah. people, and, and, and maybe if I would have stayed longer, maybe that would have happened. Maybe I would have lost my job and maybe, you know what I mean? Like, so for some people, like it's even like, like lower and darker, but I feel like um, I know some people that are still in active addiction and, and I, I don't promote, but I just sometimes, you know, um, just try to tell them about some of the things that in my life, you know, that, oh man, you know, like, oh, I've been biking, or, 
you know, I've been, man, it's so nice outside. I'm, I'm in it. I'll do this. And not necessarily like material things. I try not to, sometimes it's easy to be like, I got this and I got this because I'm clean, but it's way more than like material stuff. That kind of shit just comes, you know, that'll come eventually. But I think that that's not always the things that make you feel good. Um, mm-hmm. It's more like, you know, like for me, like I said, that connection with nature, that's, that's like, really important mm-hmm. you know and and and, and you know I, I i spent a lot of time in meetings for many years and and i don't want to i don't want to feel like hey i got what i needed and like you know fuck that but at some point i kind of stopped you know going to meetings and 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 and, and doing certain things and i kind of switched to like going back to church every sunday you know and i just felt like you know, I wanted to do, you know, the, the things that I love to do. And I wanted to like, you know, I'm not saying like, oh, I had enough of this or like I'm tired of it. But like I felt like for me personally, it was like, man, you know, like. I've wasted so much of my life on drugs, like sometimes I, I'm like, man, I like I want to just do the things that I love to do. Like sometimes I didn't want to be in these like. I want to help somebody if I can, but I felt like, man, I, you know, like I want to just like, it's one thing to reflect and to do like what we're doing, like telling my story. But I felt like, man, I, I'm ready to like, I want to like, I don't want it's not that I was trying to like separate or forget. I'm like, man, I want to start doing the things that I love to do. Like I want to like reconnect with my spirit, spirituality. I want to like, you know, be in nature and like, be with my family and, and do the things that I love again and, and like, you know, make the best of like this second chance that I got, you know? And, and like, you know, I go, sometimes I fall off a little bit, like going to church, but I get back on track, you know, cause it is important to me. Um, well, Errol, you know, man, <clears throat> thank you. Man, thank you so much for sharing everything today. I, I'm I'm hoping that that uh, you know someone out there that's listening can can really get something from this from your experience, man. I know it's you know today's episode was really more of a kind of a documentary, kind of a step by step of your of your struggles through your your um, change. And man, I really appreciate you taking the time and doing all this and and just you know just kind of reliving all of those experiences with us, man. Um, so I appreciate that. And, uh, and I want to thank everyone else on the call for listening. If you like what you've heard, please remember to follow, share, and give us a strong review. If you're a man out there searching for improvement and growth, be sure to check out strongdadscommunity.com or check us out on social media. And, uh, with that, I think we'll wrap it up. Errol, man, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for today, bud. Man, listen, thanks for asking me. To do this, it was very important for me to kind of like share this, especially just having my 10 year, uh, you know, anniversary being clean as uh, it felt like the right time. And um, I'm glad, you know, and like I said, I feel like, you know, we could go on and on and on 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 like even more beautiful things that have happened in 10 years of being clean. But I do think, you know, um, I'm glad I was able to share what I could.
You did, yeah. man. You shared a heck of a lot, man. And so I really appreciate that. And again, congrats. I know everybody out there is probably probably uh, sharing in the congrats for 10 years of clean, man. It's awesome. <laughs> With that, man, I think uh, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Everyone, thanks for listening. We're out. All right, man. Have a good one. Thanks.